Welcome to Japanimation Station, an anime podcast brought to you by the folks at the Weekly Stuff Podcast. I am Sean Chapman. And I'm Jonathan Lack. And we are here once again to dive into the wild and wacky world of anime this week on the show. A special series of episodes that we are going to be uploading this week in the lead up to the hot new Dragon Ball movie, Dragon Ball Super Superhero. We are repurposing some conversations we had from the Weekly Stuff Podcast, Jonathan. Yes, indeed. We've talked about Dragon Ball before, but I know we have listeners who maybe were not around for those or are new to Japanimation Station. And since we have a new Dragon Ball movie coming into theaters, I wanted to make sure Dragon Ball was well represented here on Japanimation Station. So over the next three days, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we are uh, hosting three of these here. The first one that you are hearing today, we will be talking about Dragon Ball Super, the TV series from which Super Superhero gets its name. Uh, we talk about all four uh, major artists arcs from that show uh of the original arcs and we just go through the whole thing and it's fun tomorrow you're going to hear uh, i think one of my most favorite uh anime mm -hmm. conversations we've ever had which is where we talked about the original broly movies from the 90s leading up to our third conversation which was about the last dragon ball super movie broly uh and i think it's just a good series of convos that i just want for historical posterity in the place where they really belonged the whole time, which was Japanimation Station. It existed in our hearts, even if it did yes. not exist in the world. These are from 2019. Might be some out-of-date references. The funniest thing is in the Broly conversation, there's a bunch of us talking about, like, we can't wait for what's next. And what's next was four years of waiting. Um, <laughs> yeah. But anyway. Yeah, it, see, at the time, it seemed like it, they were going to do more Dragon Ball in the immediate future. Uh, but, but they are, from the future we're talking about now... The future of Dragon Ball is immediate, um, but before we get to that, I think everyone can enjoy these fine podcasts from the past age. Yes, so today we're talking about Dragon Ball Super. Come back tomorrow on Friday for even more Dragon Ball goodness. Enjoy. Yeah, so let's start before we talk about this series. Let's set a baseline because we haven't done a big Dragon Ball discussion yeah. about our fandom with Dragon Ball. I mean, we've both been watching it our whole lives. Yes. So we don't need to do the whole, like, how did you get into it story. Because I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I remember... I mean, I can tell the story of I do remember that I had seen it on TV dubbed and it kind of bounced off of me while it was, like, big with everyone else. And what got me into it was when I was reading American Shonen Jump. 
when that was still a thing in in it was a monthly magazine and they were publishing dragon balls what they would do is because dragon ball z is so long it had been long over at that point because this was like 2004 i think was the year i like super got into it um and they would do like four or five chapters a month in in jump and i remember the first chapter i read which is the chapter where gohan and goku come out of the room of spirit and time in the cell arc and i remember because that full page panel of them walking out with like their gi all busted up and stuff yeah. is just seared in my memory i remember that i was it was we were on our trip to canada which was an annual trip so this would actually have been 2003 because it was my second year in canada and I remember the hotel room I was in reading this. That was also the issue that had the chapters of Yu-Gi-Oh! where they do the cool tabletop RPG with evil Bakura. Mm-hmm. That's that's a good. That's the best part of Yu-Gi-Oh! So, yeah. One of the best parts of Dragon Ball, one of the best parts of Yu-Gi-Oh! So I got into it through the manga, which not many people in America can probably say. Um, for whatever reason, the anime just initially bounced off me, and then I got into it after that. Um, and I read Dragon Ball completely out of order. You probably watched it completely out of order. Yes, yeah. Because that that's how we all did it back in the mm-hmm. day. It's, it was so long... It was, you know, original Dragon Ball was actually hard to see for a while because it wasn't on TV the normal... I mean, it was at some point, but not as much yeah. as he was. It was a long time until I had seen the Piccolo stuff. Yeah. So, anyway, um, so we, we got into it at a young age. We can just say that. We both love it a lot. Uh, I think, but as a good baseline for, like, where our tastes are in this, because Dragon Ball is a big fucking series with lots of... Ups and downs and different, you know, arcs that I think appeal to different people. I thought we should just talk about what are our favorite parts of the series before we get to Super. Because oh, yeah. I think that helps define what our tastes are going into it. You know, for me, it's it's in the Z portion of the series. I think the Android stuff is the best arc. The Android Cell stuff. And part of that is just that's the first thing I was into. Yeah. But, you know, I rewatched it, I think, last year in the anime. And I do think it is the just most consistently... In terms of a long arc, it is one of the most consistently well plotted well written character driven but also very twisty in the best ways it's it's really great uh, although i also fucking love the cyan arc which is just it's much shorter but it's kind of perfect and then in the dragon ball portion of it um i like all of the dragon ball portion there's no down part there for me but the the three tenkaichi tournaments are probably my yeah. favorite landmarks there and specifically the 23rd budokai where you have piccolo junior is probably my favorite stretch in terms of fighting like i think the yeah. fight between piccolo jr and goku is the best fight in the series so those are always like my high water points for the series what about you i mean mine is not really that different yeah i mean so for me like you know just to give a little bit of context of where i came from because you started more with the manga stuff i started with um dragon ball z on toonami when i was a kid like before i can remember when i would have watched it and that's how i got into it obviously with like the english dub and all that stuff um and then eventually then i just said watch it out of order eventually dragon ball starts coming on and trying to watch the english dub of dragon ball then eventually get into and then like periodically trying to sort of watch japanese dragon ball but could never quite get into it because i think that transition if you of like just jumping into like having watched only the dub for my whole life and trying to jump into masako nozawa as adult goku is really difficult um, because it's such a different performance and it's very hard to get past the kind of gender thing um, when you're just trying to make that like transition when you've lived with Sean Chamel as being Goku for your whole life. So then when I was learning Japanese, that's when I did the fucking like, fuck it, I want to do this. And I started watching Dragon Ball, original Dragon Ball, and watched it all the way through in Japanese. And that makes that transition completely seamless and it's not a problem. Because obviously Masako Nozawa as 
Kid Goku, no one could ever have a problem with that. It's like that trying to like like get the childish kind of voice in adult Goku is well, the transition. Well, especially in the early dubs, there was never really any effort to try to imitate what yeah. she did with the role. Sean Schemmel clearly does that more now. Like he tries to make himself sound more youthful. I still think he's to me fundamentally miscast in that part, but like you can tell like why if that's what you grew up with they, it's not even an attempt to do that no. voice whereas some of them are more of that but that one is not it's a really clean break so i get what you mean there yeah and yeah. so and so then now it's i'm japanese dragon ball all the time like i've seen i've seen all of it that way except for sub like half of gt because I, I got okay. except for half of gt and 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 like everything except for maybe like the first two episodes of the garlic junior saga because those fucking suck really bad um but yeah so that's sort of my baseline of, of how i can have come to the series and then i have read the manga only in japanese but we talked about that on a yeah. uh, podcast a couple of days ago, or a couple of weeks ago so then for my favorite dragon ball stuff the three tournament arcs definitely are way up there the beginning of boo which i know there's also a soft spot for you like the great Saiyaman in the the sort of tournament stuff around that before it all gets all booed up like i Actually, like all ev- of it but everything up to the point where majin boo appears i think is great yeah and I think after Majin Buu appears, it's sporadically great. But there's a, it's also sporadically overlong and annoying. Yes, yeah. Um, I also have like more for way more for the manga than the anime because I think this is you know infamously where the anime like the the filler stuff gets way out of control. But that the stretch for Z of like basically the beginning of what the anime calls Dragon Ball Z to Goku defeating Frieza that is like in my heart of hearts that is my favorite stretch of Dragon Ball because that is and especially like I've I have just read it through again on the manga um and it's in the manga it doesn't have the same kind of pacing problems the anime does like the 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 Frieza stuff still goes on a little bit longer than it needs to because that's a long that's a lot yeah (laughs) that starts with you know the like Vegeta and Krillin and Gohan fighting form one Frieza all the way through form two form three Form four, the Goku shows up. There's a long section. Like Goku, base Goku fights level four Frieza for longer than he fights fucking Vegeta in yes. the Saiyan Saga, and then it's Super Saiyan. So it's like that definitely goes on for a little bit, a little bit too long. But in terms of like core Dragon Ball Z stuff, there's something about the escalation from original Dragon Ball that tracks so well for me. From here's Goku and, and Piccolo fighting Raditz, and they are at like the level that they were at in that last tournament. And Raditz is fucking blowing up mountains with like key blasts that that they like barely job dodge or blows off Piccolo's arms. And then Nappa and Vegeta show up, and they're even stronger. And Nappa basically kills off almost everybody. It's like the fucking Transformers movie, where like by by Yamcha, like you don't even get killed by Nappa, you get killed by a fucking Cyberman, you prick. You fucking couldn't even win. The only the only thing Yamcha has ever accomplished. In the entirety of Dragon Ball, because I have read through now recently all this stuff in, in the manga, the only thing he ever did was defeat the Invisible Man in Fortune Teller, ba- Fortune Teller Baba's tournament. And the only reason he did that is because Krillin flashes Master Roshi with Bulma's breasts and Master Roshi spews nose blood and splashes it on the Invisible Man and that's how Yamcha wins the fight. So that's the only thing he's ever done and it's kind of fitting that the only thing he accomplished was that because it has nothing to do with him. Yes. So Yamcha gets killed, Chaozu blows himself up, Tenshin Han gets killed, Piccolo gets killed and that escalation I love and then and then you then you just get like the recurring Goku shows up, kicks some ass, kind of gets his ass kicked but then comes back again. 
and then you know same thing for like the Namek stuff all the stuff on Namek is so good of, it is of Krillin and Gohan and Vegeta all like sort of posturing and trying to figure out that's the, that is the best usage of the Dragon Ball as a plot device I think in the series easily I actually think the Namek arc is really underrated in yeah. the fandom and I think it's because people know the anime better and they know the second half of that arc better which is with just the long fight which is tedious but I think the whole cat and mouse game on Namek is fantastic and I've always loved it. Yeah. It's riveting. Like even in the anime, the, yes, there's filler. I still find it riveting and, a, and an episode. You just want to keep keep watching during yeah. that part. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then the escalation to Goku becoming Super Saiyan and fighting Frieza. And I just love the sense of this is the point in this series where these figures are so powerful that them fighting each other is blowing up the whole planet. Yeah. Like even before Frieza intentionally is trying to blow up the planet, the planet is basically falling apart. Even if Frieza had not shot the ball into the core of Namek, that planet was fucked. <laughs> it would have been fucked yes. by the end of that fight. Um, and so that stretch of Dragon Ball Z is is is, is it, for like Dragon Ball Z stuff is probably my truly my favorite even though i think probably the android cell stuff is executed better and gohan going super saiyan 2 is my favorite beat in the whole series like i think that transformation particularly how the anime does it uh, um, may know he yes best insert song ever yes it's that 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 piece is incredible but yeah that's that's for me that's that's my favorite bits of dragon ball so we pretty much love all of it yeah we love all of it the only part of dragon ball having reread through the all the dragon the original dragon ball piece of the manga which is all just dragon ball but whatever you know what you mean um the only part that for me is fairly weak is the first half of the red ribbon army stuff um be like all the stuff with general blue and there's that whole section where they're going up the fucking goku's going up the tower and there's fucking the terminator is there see i like the tower stuff ninja like i i like it okay there's the whole section where there's there's these two parts of dragon ball that blow my mind that they exist every time I get to it. It's when Goku blows through the wall in Muscle Tower and there's like a weird blubber man living in the wall of Muscle Tower. And it's he's only around for this like one chapter and it's totally meaningless. And it, it's, it, it's something that when you watch the anime you think, oh, this must have been made for the anime and it's 100% in the manga. Then later when they're in the fucking pirate base, there's a part where Goku fights a giant octopus. <laughs> Both of those parts are like, this is so, like, it's so... Like, not Dragon Ball. Like, it's Dragon funny. Ball never does stuff like that again. It's funny. I have not actually seen all of the original Dragon Ball anime. I've read it in the manga many times. Um, but I haven't seen the entire... Because it, it does not exist in the same level of quality, at least over here. No, um, yeah. But uh, one day I'm just going to have to invest and buy the Japanese Dragon Box secondhand on eBay. But anyway... Um, but the last time I would have done the Red Ribbon stuff was in the anime, not the manga. And I actually think that is one area... One of the few times the anime ever improved on the manga is the Red Ribbon stuff because in that first half they actually add a lot to it that I guess you would call filler, but I think just actually bolsters the story a bit. And the tower stuff in the anime actually is really good and like well paced and all the stuff with uh, Hachi is really good and yes Hachan uh, yeah Hachan yeah whatever they yeah. Ninja Murasaki yep I mean and then in the second half of Red Ribbon you get into all the Tao Pai Pai stuff and it's fun yes that stuff's great like that's where Dragon Ball becomes starts to like find yeah. itself as like the martial arts thing but yeah yeah it's. It's, it's all good. You know, the Boo arc is the one everyone will point to as probably the weakest arc overall. And it is, but it also is just, it is so clearly you are just seeing a story unfolding on the absolute topmost layer of Toriyama's id in his head. 
And yes, you will get some downtime when he doesn't know what to do with Boo, but you will also get just spurts of inspiration that are so fucking wild. Like everything with Vegeta in that arc is amazing. Yeah. It's it's everything with Vegeta in that arc is what allows Vegeta to be great in Dragon Ball Super twenty years later. Um, all the stuff with Mister Satan going from just this, you know, awful narcissist who is a liar and everything to a guy who legitimately helps save the planet because he finds this innocence in Boo and is able to tap into that. Um, all of that's great. You know, the Goku Gohan stuff is really erratic in that work. They don't know what to do with that. But yeah, like, it's like if 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 Toriyama had just streamlined the Gotenks, Gohan, Mystic Gohan, whatever you want to call that form of Gohan, and the Vegito stuff, and like streamlined that some way and made it more focused, or like cut out maybe two of those three or something, I think the Boo arc would be like maybe the best. But yeah, it just it, it just sags so much in that section. Yeah, I mean the Boo arc. It's it's the one that he wrote when he was at the end of his fucking rope, and you get yeah. it. And the, what's funny to me is that we say at the end of his rope, and Dragon Ball did have a long run. It's about 10 years in the manga. The original Tankoban releases is 42 volumes, and that is a fucking penny in the goddamn water. I don't know how you say it. A drop in the water, yeah. drop in the bucket of modern shonen anime and everything, mm-hmm. where like Naruto is, I think, 72 volumes. One Piece just hit 92 volumes. You know, Bleach was in the 70s, like yeah. all of these ones. And Toriyama just was like, peace out. I'm fucking done. I'm done. Well, and, and Dragon Ball sort of unique in that sense, also compared to a lot of those others in that, you know, Bleach and Naruto, um, which I can speak to, like I, I have limited experience with One Piece, but then like those two in particular, which are like those two and then One Piece are like the three big like post like clearly post but like dragon ball like dragon ball is done by the time those start dbc I mean, dbc abridged has a great joke about that where where goku wakes up as naruto and he's like i'm ninja goku yeah and i'm i'm pirate goku and he's luffy it's which yeah. that's what they are yes. or or hunter hunter which is probably actually the most clearly like gone at the beginning of hunter hunter is just kid goku and it's like kind of shameless um which i'm i'm more of a fan of yu haka show versus hunter hunter which is kind of an unpopular opinion nowadays but fuck <laughs> yu haka is fucking amazing but like like the post dragon ball z shonen they go for much more of a like at the beginning of naruto naruto's like i'm gonna be the hokage and in the, if you're watching the horrible english dub he then says believe it and it's awful if you're watching the original japanese Dark the original dub awesome. they they fixed that when viz got the dub that's true. i think that's, that's yeah fair enough yeah that was the like edited for kids the dub. way i was originally introduced to naruto yes. he says i'm gonna be the hokage believe it and i was like i'm never gonna watch this and then like 10 years later i watched the original japanese so this is actually really good but he says i'm gonna be the hokage at the beginning of naruto at the end of naruto spoilers he's the hokage you know yeah. and he ultimately he graduates to becoming boruto's dad the hokage naruto um you know uh, at the, like Bleach doesn't have anything quite as clear, but Bleach introduces in like its first really significant arc a, a villain named Aizen that is like the main villain for as basically the entire rest of the, as long as the anime ran. And then I know that manga kept on going past the anime, and and I know that he comes back as the, as a significant figure past that, which is like way more. This is like at the like near the beginning of the series, things are set up that maintain for the whole thing. Or like One Piece. He wants to be king of the pirates. He wants to be king of the pirates and find One Piece. I don't know where that goes, but I bet he hasn't done it yet. They're still on the Grand Line, I think. Yeah. Um, And and then Hunter Hunter, at the beginning of Hunter Hunter, Gon wants to find his dad. Like 200 episodes later, he has like a fucking one conversation with his dad and then the anime stops and the manga keeps on going. So like that's how like post-Dragon Ball Shonen goes. I really like what Dragon Ball does of saying, no, we're going to have fucking discreet ass arcs. And like... 
once once this tournament is over, like the next thing is going to be totally different. And now Goku's just fighting a fucking army, and it's crazy. And then we're doing another tournament that has almost that has like a thin connection with Tao Pai Pai, but other and like the the Crane School. But other than that, it's totally disconnected. And that structure is something I really love about Dragon Ball, and I think it's it's one of the things that I like about that period of Shonen, like that and Yu Yu Hakusho and Roni Kenshin that I really like is that it is as much as people complain about like, Oh, the boo saga goes on for too long. Fuck that. That shit's super focused. Like compared to Naruto or bleach, or I assume one piece that shit is like, you know, that might as well be a movie <laughs> compared yes. to the way that those arcs go on. I mean, one piece's current arc, if I'm not mistaken, is like nearing 200 episodes or something. Like mm-hmm. it's been like, if you look on Crunchyroll, they have it by arc, I think. And I think the current one starts in like the 600s and they're in the 800s now or yeah. something. So, you know, yeah. Um, and we're not putting down the other anime. No, just that Dragon again, Ma- I love Naruto. And part of why Dragon Ball, I think, stays renewable is that quality that Goku does not have one goal. He just wants to go out there and get stronger and experience the world. Yeah, and, and Goku completely... I mean, he doesn't completely change that he's a different character, but he grows up so much over the course of it that he starts yeah. out as being 12... Even though he originally says he's 15, and then Toriyama's like, that's ridiculous. Now he's 12, and then he's going to be 15 when I actually do the three-year jump. And then by the time he ends Dragon Ball Z, he's like in his 30s, maybe? He'd have to be older than that. Yeah. I mean, he does have a grandchild at that point. Well, you know, but Goku had Gohan when he was like 21 or something. Right. Because he's, he's 18 in that Piccolo tournament. Yes. So, but yes, he's Goku is older than we we want to think he is, but you know, he, he ages gracefully. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, that's the thing. If As long as Goku... As long as you can write new things for Goku to go experience, you can do new Dragon Ball, which is actually, to me, the lesson of Dragon Ball Super, which we should talk about now. I mean, Dragon Ball had a... I mean, it's hard to say fallow period, because the actual fallow period for Dragon Ball was in Japan post-GT. So, like, 97 through, like, 2002, there was nothing, and then they started making the video games again with what was came out here as the Budokai games. Yeah. And then Dragon and then they also did the Dragon Boxes, which was the first time Dragon Ball had any kind of home video release in Japan and all sorts of stuff. And then it kind of came back. The thing is that doesn't feel like a fallow period to us because that's when Dragon Ball started coming out in the US and was huge. Yeah. So and then, yeah, Dragon Ball Z eventually ends and GT ends and the, there are no new movies, but Dragon Ball never really goes away. There are always video games. There are always new home video releases. There are books. Yeah, there eventually are... over here we get... I mean, it was in Japan too, but it was basically for here was Kai. So yeah. like they're, they're all of a sudden like, there's a whole new way to watch Dragon Ball, especially if you are prefer watching dubs. That's basically the only way to watch Dragon Ball yes. English dubs, um, as far as I'm concerned. Very, very much so. And it's the only reason you should watch Kai, because yeah. as for the Japanese version, it's a markedly inferior product. Yeah. Um, but for the English dub, it's a markedly superior project, yes. product. So, you know. Um, but yes. Uh, so yeah, you always had those things coming out. But then, obviously before Super, the big resurgence comes in 2013 with Battle of Gods. Yeah. Um, which was the first new movie they had made in, it's it wasn't quite 20 years, it was like 15 years or something, since the 20th anniversary movie, which is called over here The Path to Power, right, which yes. came out after Z, and it was during GT. It's essentially the GT movie, it's just set during the Dragon Ball period. Like, Goku has his GT gi on, and it's the GT designs of everything. It's So it's Katsuyoshi Nakatsuru was the designer for that. He's got a very, I love his style, it's very specific. Um but they hadn't done one since then. Battle of Gods is the first one where they come back and do it. And notably, Toriyama is on board. He is not credited with writing Battle of Gods. But what we know is basically there was a draft. Toei was going to do it. They convinced him to take a look at it. And then 
something bit Toriyama and he hasn't left since. Yeah. And I think he has said a couple of times, you can go find these online. I love these little interview tidbits around the time of Battle of Gods that part of what kicked him in the ass to like do this and really revise Battle of Gods and make Dragon Ball his own again was the US movie, Dragon Ball Evolution. Which we've all forgotten about. The one with yeah. like uh, uh, Justin, Justin Chatwin and Emmy From Rossum. Doctor Who Return of Doctor Mysterio yeah. fame. He's a good actor in everything else. Just yeah. you know, So is Emmy Rossum is in that. I mean, it's got a really... Chow Yun-Fat is in that fucking movie. Yeah. He's Master Fucking um, Spike from Buffy. Yeah, James Piccolo. Marston. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. Who in the dub of Super, have you heard about this? He plays Zamasu. I did not know that. I yeah. did not really. It's a good performance because I've seen some clips of yep. that. Yep. And fight. but he's not credited as it for union reasons. But Chris Sabat has basically said no. That's I mean, people you can tell if you know James Marston. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they did that as a little uh, give him something better to play in Dragon that's, Ball. Uh, yeah, because his voice sounded familiar, but I couldn't yeah. place it. Jeez. That's really cool. I think. <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, we're getting off topic. But there was the the Dragon Ball Evolution movie, which is obviously very, very, very bad. Yeah, and so I've never seen it. I'm just taking it on faith that it must be horrible. Yes. Uh, you know, if we still had the Patreon and we were getting enough, you know, money every month, maybe that would be a stretch goal. But you know, fuck that. I'm not kidding. I'm kidding. We're never watching that. Fuck that's that. that's the one piece of Dragon Ball media that is not in my collection. No. Yeah. That's that's a bridge too far. Sorry. I'm yeah. Concerned. Uh And Toriyama really hated it, and he said a couple of times. You can go like Han Zenshu has some of these on their their website, the big Dragon Ball fan site, where he basically just says he wanted to do this in part to show how it's done because he felt personally offended by that movie and so with battle of gods like if you go back into the material it's really interesting like toei was going to make that anyway but the script was very different like beerus was a much more evil character who had to be like overcome he literally made people evil they were going to retcon the backstory and have it be like he made frieza evil and that's why frieza destroyed planet vegeta oh wow and things that like that no I'm, I'm not i'm thinking of that wrong he the, there was going to be a line about how he told Frieza to destroy Planet Vegeta, which is kind of in the movie, he says he allowed Frieza to do it. Yeah. The big thing was he made the science evil is what they oh, were going to do. That also would have been yes. very bad. Um, so he, like, he could infect people with evil. The character designs were going to be very different. All this stuff. And Toriyama came in and changed it to what we have. And when everyone saw Battle of Gods, I think it was this breath of fresh air because it's like not only is this new Dragon Ball, it feels like straight from the source Toriyama Dragon Ball And I think the big revelation of that movie and what's come since is the revelation to me that Dragon Ball is much more of an auteurist work than we all thought it was. That it's not really something that you can go give to other people to do. You have to have Toriyama at least tangentially involved because, you know, like we, for instance, we just watched the Broly movie, Sean. Yes. Vegeta is horribly out of character in that. Mm -hmm. Goku is sort of in character in that movie, but in the other... Goku has no reason to even be be in the movie, movie, honestly. But in most of the Dragon Ball movies, the way Takao Koyama, the screenwriter of those, would write him is he made Goku Superman, and he would go up and be like, I have to defeat you because you're bad. That's almost never Goku's motivation. Like, he will be mad if you hurt his family, but he usually is not a righteous crime fighter. You know? No, he just wants to fight strong people. Yes. He's stronger. And that's kind of... that The subtext of Battle of Gods is Toriyama reorienting Goku from, I think, what he had become in the non-Toriyama Dragon Ball media, and I think especially in the West, where that is how the dub treated Goku as well. Yeah. Like, there's the whole famous speech of, like, I am the hope of the universe. <laughs> which, yeah, ally to good, nightmare to you. Which is... He doesn't say that in Japanese. No. Um... And I think it was reorienting Goku, and it's a big success in part for that reason, and that Beerus and Whis just feel like they were always there, because they are such Toriyama characters. And then they did two years later the Resurrection F movie, and it was really fun. And Resurrection F is basically like one of the original DBZ theatrical movies, if it was done well by Toriyama. Yeah. And it's really fun. And then they started Dragon Ball Super. 
And Super gets off to a rocky start because they decided to retell the two movies that were already out there. No one knows why. I mean, we do know why. It's because they started really fast and had no stories and they just had to do it by the seat of their pants. But then it gets into new stuff and it gets really good. And we're in this really nice era for Dragon Ball because of that. And now Dragon Ball is possibly bigger than ever uh, to the point where now we have a new movie coming out a less than a month out from the Japanese release. And it's just a wide national release in theaters. It's yeah. nuts. Uh, like, I would not be surprised if the Broly movie hits the U.S. top 10 the weekend it comes out. Yeah. Which would be crazy. I don't think any anime has done that since the Pokemon? Probably. Yeah, it must be Pokemon. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Ponyo would have done it. Um, that was the, the only Miyazaki movie that I think broke the top 10. Hmm. But anyway. Um, but yeah, so that's, I think, the good backstory here to how we got here. Um, yeah. But should we talk about the show, Dragon Ball Super? Well, I think we, I think we very quickly, because I don't want to dwell on it, but we do need to, I think, address the elephant in the room, which is Dragon Ball GT. Oh, sure. Because, yeah. because like, like, because that's poor Dragon Ball GT. Yeah, because Dragon Ball Super had been, they had tried this before, right after Dragon Ball Z was done, the anime. They basically said, "Well, we need to fuck." Well, Dragon yeah, Ball makes a lot of money. I mean, this is if you read Toriyama's author note in the last chapter, because DBZ. A lot of people don't know this. It's a great story. The way DBZ ended is in the penultimate chapter of the manga, there's a little panel at the end where Master Roshi says, something big is happening next week. Come see what it is. And no one knew, except Toriyama and the people publishing it, that what the fun thing was is, peace out, we're done. <laughs> and that's what it is. And the, the, the next chapter goes, Goku flies off with Oob. If you were a fan in Japan at the time, you would turn the page being like, I can't wait to see what happens next. And what it is is a big drawing of all the characters and Toriyama saying, this is it. I'm really tired of writing this. Thank you for reading it. And part of what he says there is, I've been trying to do this for a while, but it took a lot of coordination with all of, you know, the people who make this a thing. And, you know, what the, the subtext there is that there's a lot of people who are going to lose their jobs because I don't want to write this anymore. Yeah. And it's really hard to stop doing it. And, but that's how it ended. But of course the anime could not just, I mean, again, a lot of people would just lose their fucking jobs if that's what they did. So yes, GT literally started the week after Z ended. Like the last episode of Z ends with a preview of Dragon Ball GT. Yeah. Um, so Dragon Ball GT is just the direct continuation. GT, unlike Super, picks up from the end end of Z, the stuff with Oob, um, yeah. five years like, later. Yeah, so it's, it's later. All the characters have different designs. They're yeah. all older. Vegeta has his infamous fucking mustache because I don't know why. He cut his hair, which is a huge decision for a Saiyan because Saiyan, both blood Saiyan's hair is what it is when they're bored and it never grows. And so, like, a haircut is, like, a haircut for a full-blood Saiyan is, like, getting a fucking oh, tattoo. Oh, man, I, I saw this scene recommended to me on YouTube the other day. It's the scene from GT where Vegeta is driving uh, Bulla, his daughter, mm -hmm. to go shopping. And out on their way back, there's, like, guys flirting with Bulla, and he, like, drives them off the road. Yes, it's, yeah. It's fucking crazy. Mm -hmm. They had no idea what to do with Vegeta. Yeah. And, and I just think one of the reasons, before we talk about Dragon Ball Super, you need to talk about GT, is that I think, like... Super is like the mirror reflection of Dragon Ball GT. That basically everything, every all the bad decisions they made in GT, Super made the right choice. Um, and probably a lot of that is having Toriyama's hand on the wheel. But GT as a continuation of Z is so lackluster because it chooses, among many things, it chooses to go backwards. So it chooses to, one, it regresses Goku to being Kid Goku and tries to redo the adventure-style stories of early original Dragon Ball which is really just the first arc of trying to get all the Dragon Balls and the Red Ribbon arc, and that's it. Like, that, that's actually the only two arcs in original Dragon Ball that do that. Because once you're past that, it's all tournaments or it's all Piccolo. 
um, or Piccolo in a tournament. So, <laughs> so, so like Blast was just kind of both. Because, and, and really, it's only the first half of the Red Ribbon arc, because as soon as Tau Pai Pai turns up, it stops being fun adventures, let's go get Dragon Balls, and starts being, I'm Goku, and I'm becoming a more powerful martial artist and ascending up this sort of ladder. Um, and, and that's kind of how Dragon Ball goes from there. GT tries to go back to that style. It doesn't quite work. Eventually, and then they just make this hard turn as soon as Baby shows up. Or, yeah, that's what his name Yeah, Baby. Yeah. Um, into being like, trying to go hard into doing Dragon Ball Z-style stuff again. They introduce Super Saiyan 4, which is a very not whatever I, i'm not a big fan of the way that that transformation looks i think it, it's an admirable swing for the fences considering this is the first time that team had to do something without toriyama yeah and and but baby is such a lackluster villain all the fights in dragon ball gt are just terrible like like none of that pacing is works out very well and i think part of the problem the core problem for dragon ball gt is that sense of we need to go backwards we're trying to redo things that dragon ball z already did like Baby just feels like a weird, like, Frieza-Boo kind of mix. Like, he, he's like a Boo that hates Saiyans, basically, the way that Frieza hates Saiyans. And so, and, and then they go and do Super Android 17, which is thus them, them just trying to do an Android arc again in a way that, like, spoilers, that's where I stopped watching Dragon Ball GT. <laughs> like, I kind of, I stomached through all the baby stuff. The Super Android 17 stuff started. I'm like, I can't watch this. This is so bad. And then, and it was just sad because I think the only part of GT that I find kind of interesting is actually that last arc where they try to do something that is a little bit more forward looking and like, let's it's, have the, let's recontextualize the Dragon Balls in a way that's like, again, the execution is sloppy as fuck, but the idea is at least then trying to do something new. Well, and it's, 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 it's always been a kind of a tragedy that we never got to see more of GT, weirdly, because it was getting good when it got cancelled. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I, I actually do think the last episode of GT is the best version of a Dragon Ball ending we've ever gotten. <laughs> because the actual ending in the manga is, it's fine, but it is the, we're just going to stop the story here yeah. ending. Um, so there are good things about GT, but it is mostly just, it is, it's the bad version of, of it. And, I mean, it was responded to that way. It, it had poor ratings, it was very poorly received in Japan at the time. And it went on. I mean, it got canceled after sixty-four episodes. That does not happen to a show like yeah. Dragon Ball. Yeah, so it basically ran for a year. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, and that that instead that sets up for Super, which goes does basically everything completely different than GT, where it decides instead of starting way later, it's like a little bit after the ending of Boo. Yeah. Um, and you know, it obviously starts with that Battle of Gods movie, and I think it's in the middle of the it's it, in Dragon Ball Z after they defeat Boo. There's a ten-year gap. Yeah. And it's in that 10-year gap. Yeah, in, which is something that Dragon Ball Super is eventually going to have to figure out how they're going to address the approaching the, the epilogue chapter from the manga. But I think the core decision that turns everything around and like makes let's do more Dragon Ball work for me is Beerus and Whis and saying, instead of trying to do stuff we've already done, let's keep on going in the direction we were already heading, which had always been, if you're going back to all the way back to original Dragon Ball, it's Goku ascending up this hierarchy that's like there's and actually like Dragon a lot of Dragon Ball Z the Frieza Android stuff that's the stuff that's the weird outlier where before that point it was always like okay like I meet Mutant Roshi who's like this great martial artist and then I meet Karin Sama the cat that's living on at the top of this tower who's just like who taught Mutant Roshi and then I meet Kamisama, literally God, and I train with him. And then I meet King Kai, who who is in the afterlife or the other world, and he looks over this whole galaxy, not just one planet. And then you have like you fuck around with aliens and robots and shit. But then you get 
Kaioshin or the Supreme Kai in the English dub, and he's above King Kai. And, and you can then ascend further in that direction, which is now there's the God of Destruction and... and Hakai Shin Beerus. Yeah, Hakai Shin Beerus. And then the angel advisor, Whis, who is even more powerful than Beerus. And that's where Goku goes. And then obviously... Like halfway through Dragon Ball Super, they introduce Zenosama, who is at the absolute pinnacle. For now, for now, who knows? We'll like we've hit the pinnacle a couple of times. We, we thought we hit it with Kamisama, and we've kind of kept. With on the going. character literally named God. Yes, which is a, a joke that probably the dub was smart in trying not trying to replicate. But it's always sad to me that there's a lot of Dragon Ball fans that only do the English stuff that don't quite get how we're, how hilarious it is when Goku, after defeating Demon King Piccolo bursts into the Kame house where everybody doesn't even know if Koki's really alive again or anything. And he just bursts in and he's like, hey guys, I need the Dragon Raider really quick. Oh, actually I need my power pole. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to leave really quick. I'm going to go train with Kami. And they're like, wait, did he just say he's going to train with God? And he just fucks off for like three fucking years. No well, season. And you know, I want to make a comparison here. Uh, getting back into the history of it a little bit, why I think the whole the ascension thing works so well for me too, and all the godly stuff. Because this is one thing we should probably talk about in this discussion with Super is that Super is very divisive in the fandom. Yes, and uh, I mean in the heart, I think generally people like it. There are the harder core corners where people generally just don't like things. <laughs> Um, yeah. You know, but I think part of it is people are like, oh, they're fucking around with all these gods. It's like, you know, it's it's so it's lost its like personal stakes or whatever. And to me, actually, it feels very true to what Dragon Ball is because Dragon Ball in its initial inception. So like the original arc is is inspired by Journey to the West, which is yeah. one of the four great Chinese novels of, of that classical period. Um, and it is uh, and I say novel. It's like 2000 pages. I mean, yeah. it's very, very big. And the English translation is four volumes and you should read it because it's fucking amazing. But um, that is a there's a lot you can get into with Journey of the West. But it is in in short, it is the story of Tripitaka, the, the Buddhist monk who traveled to the West to get these Buddhist scriptures, bring them back to the East. And one of his attendants is a character named Sun Wukong, who is the monkey king. And, and actually, the beginning of Journey to the West, the first, I think it's 12 chapters, is the story of Sun Wukong. And I love that. If you, if you only read one thing, get the first volume and read all the Sun Wukong stuff, because yeah. it's amazing, where he is this monkey, like, born of the earth, and he just starts, like, creating and creating his own domain and all these other monkeys, and then he just goes up and fucks around with the gods, and he keeps going higher and higher until he is just such a trouble to all the gods, they trap him under a volcano. And that's what happens, and then Tripitaka finds him later. Yeah. Um, and that is the inspiration for Goku. Son Goku is literally just the transliteration of Sun Wukong from Chinese into Japanese. Yeah. The kanji for, like, that's why Son Goku and the Son family are the only characters in Dragon Ball who have kanji names. The rest of them are all katakana names because they're puns. Yeah. Um, but Son Goku has a kanji name because it is just Sun Wukong. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, I think the whole idea of the ascension and meeting new gods and constantly surpassing limits and surprising the gods, that's Journey to the West. And I feel like that inspiration has never really left the series, even as its initial like party structure, which is supposed to be Tripitaka's gang, and Bulma is roughly the Tripitaka character, um, has been completely left behind at this point. Yeah. And it was by the time of you meet Master Roshi. But now... Uh, I do think there is some of that Journey to the West DNA in having it be this story about this character who keeps meeting new gods and and not kowtowing to them. Yeah, and and instead of doing what Dragon Ball GT did and trying to like go back and and recapture some of the affectation of classic adventure style Dragon Ball, what Dragon Ball Super does with Goku 
um, is to say instead of just trying to capture that affectation, let's like like let's recalibrate and and, and recenter the show on Goku, and then they raised Vegeta up to being like the co-protagonist. Um, for most of, I think like generally speaking he's the co-protagonist like obviously Goku still is the guy who has to win at the end because he's Goku but Vegeta's right there alongside him in terms of importance which is where he needs to be but instead of doing the big ensemble stuff which is what Z had become by the time you get to Namek particularly like it's you know you have long stretches where Goku's just completely absent in the manga um, and then obviously even more so in the anime instead of like going and doing that ensemble thing, which is still what GT is vaguely trying to do with all these weird cutaways to fucking Vegeta on earth with his mustache and Bulla. And, but like, there's no substance there. Super decides let's like refocus on Goku and refocus on what had been his story before we kind of got sidetracked, which is him progressively like becoming like, basically like at this point, he's on track to be like the God of martial arts. Like he's just becoming a more and more accomplished martial artist from being like this kid who was really strong but didn't kind of really know much to being now he's you know in the tournament of power and he's like oh this is goku like he's the probably the most accomplished martial artist of any of these characters except for jiren and like like in the gods he's he's on that level not just as someone who has a lot of power but who's someone who understands martial arts and that like kind of martial arts fable thing that they recapture in Dragon Ball Super, that is my favorite thing that Dragon Ball Super does. I agree, and I think that's a great way to frame what it does well, is that reframing around Goku. And also, now that you say that, I want the series to end with all the gods getting together and naming Goku the Great Sage Equal to Heaven, which is what they, which is mm-hmm. the bullshit name they give to Sun Wukong to try to placate him yes. until he realizes, wait, this is a fake title, and he gets mad at the gods, and then they trap him under a, a mountain. And I think that's, really, that is how Dragon Ball should end, is that they name him Great Sage Equal to Heaven, and then he gets bored and goes back, and they, and Sen Osama puts him under a mountain. Yeah, it's like, we, you, you just, it's, you're just too much, you're gonna eat everything in the universe, Goku. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's, you're just too much. You're just too much. Yes, so... Yeah, so I think that sets the scene really well. I, so when we talk about Dragon Ball Super, the weird thing is that you kind of have to break the series up a little bit because yeah. it had this... If you remember the timeline, what happened is... is so Battle of Gods is March 2013. These are all the Japanese dates. It, they, it, the English release of all this stuff is so weird because Battle of Gods took forever to come over here. Resurrection F was really quick and then Super took forever to come over yeah. here. But now the new movie is... I don't know. I don't know what they're doing. I just feel like Toei... Is, is so fast and loose with how they, they like to play with the Dragon Ball franchise. Sometimes they're so protective of it. And then sometimes it's just like, the it feels like the yin icon just pops on their eyes. It's like, oh shit, we could get this money. Dragon Ball is the most popular anime on planet yeah. Earth. Yes. I mean, Dragon Ball Super basically went through half of its run before Crunchyroll got it. Yeah. You know. It was a full year of, yeah. of serialization. Very yeah. frustrating. So anyway, um, but let's go back to the timeline. So Battle of Gods, March 2013. Resurrection F is March 2015. Super started July 2015. So they had... And it's roughly the same staff from the movies. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Resurrection F was directed by Tadayoshi Yamamuro, who's one of the three major character designers the series has ever had. He did not direct Super, but he was the lead designer on it. And then a lot of the people involved with it were on the movies. And so they had to put this whole crew together three months after the last movie. And Super just had to hit the ground running with, like, no plan. If you even look at the... This is one of the, my, my favorite analyses I've ever seen. If you look at the, the logo for Dragon Ball Super, it's super fucking wonky. Mm-hmm. Because they put it together so fast where they just took the Dragon Ball from the Dragon Ball Z logo. 
which is a logo that curves, if you've ever looked at it. And the Z curves with it. They right. chopped off the Z. They put super on it. But here, I'm going to show you this, Sean, what I mean. Super does not curve. It literally, it's there and it's going the wrong way. Yeah. That's how wonky the logo is because they did this so fast. It was such a like rushed production. Um, but it gets on TV. And what they start with is a retelling of the Battle of Gods movie. But with the biggest change being it's on a yacht instead of it at... Yeah. At Capsule Core. And the Beerus fight goes on for a lot longer. Goes on for 55 episodes or something. I'm kidding. Not really, but it feels like that. And then they do a couple of episodes of in-between stuff that's actually pretty fun. And then they do Resurrection F as an arc on the TV show. And that is about 35 episodes of the show is those two movies. And again, to future generations, this choice will make absolutely no sense because those are markedly the inferior versions of those stories. You should watch the movies. Yeah. But what it is is... We have to get a TV show started. We've had no time to write new material. Uh, do the movies with filler, <laughs> you know? And that's yeah. what they did. And those arcs are bad for a variety of reasons, I think. Um, you know, they are, number one, just really poorly animated because they had so little time and resources to work on this stuff. Like, the most famous one is, I think it's episode five, is the episode where Goku fights Beerus on Kaiosama's planet. Yeah. And... It's hilarious. Like, they actually did fix the animation a little bit for the Blu-ray, which is what Crunchyroll has. So you have to go to YouTube to see the original bad animation. And it's it's amazing that it made it on the air. Um, so there were just a bunch of production pipeline problems. The story was not particularly well told. The Resurrection F arc tried to add new stuff where Captain Ginyu comes back. Yeah. And Piccolo dies again, but nothing comes of it. It's... It's not particularly good. I think, again, like the first couple episodes before you get into Battle of Gods are fun. There's the one where Vegeta takes his family to the park. That's really cool. Yeah. There is, in the middle, there's all the stuff where Vegeta goes to train with Whis and then Goku follows him, which is, that's where Vegeta gets pushed up to co-lead status. And then that kind of follows through the Resurrection F stuff. And that's good. But really, it's not until you get out of those two arcs and you get Champa and Vados introduced, who are the Universe 6 Hakaishin and Angel. Yeah. Because the multiverse concept was introduced at the end of the Battle of Gods movie. Yep. And so that had already been set up as... And, and it was basically when Dragon Ball Super was announced, they said that's where we're eventually going. I think Champa's, they even had the design for Champa then. Yeah, they did. Champa and Vados are in the theme song for 35 episodes before they show up in the show. Yeah. So in it, fact, if, yeah. if you read the Dragon Ball Super manga by Toyotaro, which I recommend, it's really cool... Uh, in the Battle of Gods portion of the manga, they, they skip the Resurrection F stuff, but in the Battle of Gods portion, there every chapter or so, there will be a couple pages where they cut away to Champa and Vados looking for the Super Dragon Balls. I don't know why the TV show didn't do that. It would have been such a huge improvement. Because <laughs> as it is, they kind of come out of nowhere. Yeah. But anyway, um, so, so yeah, they had that all announced, but we had to wait to see it. Yeah. yeah, and it just made it clear that those movie adaptations were the staunch, the bleeding of like, fuck, we just put together this ragtag team right off of the movies yeah. and there's no time. So let's just, we already know what this story is. We'll, we'll put it on a yacht because that'll make it easier to make it longer. And let's just try to build up enough so that by the time we get to adapting this stuff, we can really do it. Yes. So do you have any other thoughts on the movie adaptations? Skip them. Like I would, I, I do really enjoy all the, like what is typically called the filler episodes of just, as you said, the first couple, the little like stretch in between um, Battle of Gods and Resurrection F. So I would look up like what those episodes are. There's probably some guide or something. Yeah. Watch those, watch the movies, and then 
but do not watch the stuff no. in between of them adapting the movie material because it's just not worth it. No, and and the break from the Resurrection F stuff to the Champa arc is so clean. You can yeah. just start right there. It feels like a new show because they got a new director at that point because this show changed directors twice yeah. in three years, which is, that's not how it normally goes in anime. Um, but yeah, so, and the movies are great. I mean, we've, yes. we've said that Battle of Gods is still my favorite Dragon Ball movie. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's an amazing film and Resurrection F is, is not as quote-unquote good, but it's really fucking fun. Yeah, it's a, yeah, Resurrection F is, as you said, it's basically like the old Dragon Ball Z movies, but where it's just like, yeah, it's just basically the movie is just a big fight, but the big fight looks really cool, and there's more, there's new material and new stuff and to see. And it's character-driven, cool. yeah. because the characters feel right. Yeah, and Freeze is cool, and there's just some big moments. Like, I always, yeah. I love when Vegeta gets to show that like it's that moment where you realize all right frieza has no idea that vegeta can even go normal super saiyan and vegeta just goes super saiyan blue and it's like frieza's mind is fucking blown i love that part so much oh and the smackdown vegeta it's like i love that vegeta really only fights in that movie for like three minutes because it's character accurate that he's not the guy who comes in and fucks around like goku does he's the guy who comes in and just kills you and that's what he does to frieza and it's amazing yes anyway Great stuff. So, but with Super, what we really have is the Champa arc, which is the Universe Six versus Universe Seven tournament, which is just a it's just a fun, friendly tournament. Like the stakes are not particularly high. Yeah. But I mean, the stakes are that Champa wants to use the Super Dragon Balls to wish Earth from Universe Seven over to Universe Six because right. Earth has really good cooking. I had forgotten that that was and, even the thing. Yep, and his Earth is gone in Universe Seven. Are in Universe Six, and that ending, or that arc also has a really sweet ending where Beerus uses the Super Dragon Balls to wish Earth back in Universe Six, so Champa can have an Earth, yeah. and and Beerus is secretly really nice underneath that tough exterior. So you have that arc, then you have the Future Trunks arc, which is where uh, Future Trunks from the Cell Saga comes back again because a mysterious character known only as Black has shown up, and uh, they need to figure out how to defeat him, and that arc is. It's, it's what would happen if Hideaki Anno directed Dragon Ball. Basically, it's, it's yeah. It's fucking amazing. And then, roughly half of the series is... Uh, this is where they do the switch over in theme song. There's also a significant shift in animation style that happens here. Mm-hmm. Is uh, the universe survival arc, which is where Goku has suggested to Zeno-sama they have a martial arts tournament with all of the universes. And Zeno takes that as... Okay, but whichever universe loses gets erased, and now they are all fighting for survival, and you have like 20 episodes of build-up with Goku putting his team together, and then the the tournament is, I think, 35-ish episodes, which is longer than any other tournament, even the Budokais from original Dragon Ball. Uh, and so that's the last arc, and it's it's the most significant one because it is about half the series. Um, so yeah, we have those three arcs to talk about, Sean. And we should probably go in order, but I mean, in general, I mean, I love all three of those arcs. I think yeah. they're amazing. I think they flow into each other really well, and each one is better than the one that comes before. Yeah, that's the main point, is like, it is, like, a descending level of quality, and then once you get to the universe survival arc or the turn of power arc, it's not just, like, ascending in that, like, that arc is better than the other ones. Like, within that arc, it just keeps on getting fucking better and better and better until, like, the yes. ending, which is incredible. And I think what's significant to me, and going off what you said about how they've reoriented it around Goku, is that it's all about seeing new stuff. Mm-hmm. None of Super is about, even though like one of the arcs is literally called the Future Trunks arc, and that I remember when it was announced, I was like, that sounds lame. Like that sounds like you're. I love Future Trunks, yeah. but like, are you doing anything new there? But they are. Like each arc is about showing us new parts of the universe. So like Universe Six, 
versus seven arc that is about there's a whole new universe and here's a batch of new characters for our characters to fight and a lot of those characters stick around like hit yeah. and um kaba and all of that and in particular hit i think was like that's that's the big moment where dragon ball super started to shift for me is is when hit shows up and and you get the first fight with vegeta where vegeta loses because he doesn't understand hit's ability to the time stop stuff and then goku fighting hit feels like this is new dragon ball like yep. this is like hit is a different kind of villain he's not even really a villain but a different kind of character to cap off this tournament and he's so interesting and, and so well executed and so different than any other dragon ball character that's come before him that he has to keep on showing up and he has a little bit of stuff um in between that and and really the where he gets a lot of cool stuff in the tournament uh, power arc but he keeps on popping up and he's a character of the video game and he's awesome and it feels like when hit showed up that was the first thing outside of battle of gods that felt like this is like an iconic dragon ball z kind of thing yes that's going to stick around in the franchise absolutely so there's new stuff there and then the future trunks arc like, Trunks is a returning character, but we never spent time in his future before, so yeah. we spend a lot of time there. Mai is ostensibly a character from earlier Dragon Ball, but she has been so recast that she might as well be new. And Zamasu and Goku Black, again, it's a it's an evil Goku. It's the third evil Goku in the series after Bardock and Turles from uh, Tree of Might. Yeah. And yet, it feels like a really new take on that idea. Zamas is an evil god. We have not had that in the series before. Um, it's all about like inter-universe intrigue. It's a really different kind of arc. You know, Trunks' entire character arc, I think, is a different kind of thing than we'd seen before. Because for that arc, you have three leads. You have Trunks, yeah. Vegeta, and Goku. And Vegeta, frankly, is... Like, Goku is the least significant in that arc. It's yeah. Vegeta and Trunks. And then you have the Universe of Power, which is... Or, universe of Power, The Universe Survival Arc, Tournament of Power, yeah. which is all about we're going to go see new people in new places, and we're going to take a lot of old characters and bring them back, but in really new ways. Like, Mutin Roshi has not been significant as a fighter since the like 22nd Budokai. Yeah. So we're going to do a lot of new stuff with him and, and all of that's great. And, and even in like Android 17, not a new character, but the way they use him, he might as well be. Um, yeah. They don't just try to make him a villain again, which is what GT did of yeah. like trying to bend over backwards and be like, Oh, let's have the androids again, but let's have them actually be the monsters this time, which lasted for like five episodes or whatever. Um, yeah. It's bad. Yeah. So, so all of super is, really about Goku and friends experiencing new things. I li I do genuinely like that only one of them is a, there's a bad guy trying to destroy the universe. I like mm -hmm. that the other two are tournaments of some kind or another because Dragon Ball had not done a tournament since the 23rd Budokai. Like there's the 26th, which is at the beginning of the Boo arc, but it's a it's an abandoned tournament. Yeah. It's an aborted uh, like attempt to do that. Um, so, so, you know, it's, it's kind of going back to roots, but also with this really forward-looking gaze... And that's what is so fun is like I, I wrote about this a lot when I was watching through the future trunk stuff and I talked to you about it, Sean, where I was like, I don't know what's gonna happen. I'm genuinely being surprised by things. I don't know where this is headed. I can't predict it. And in my entire history with Dragon Ball, I've never really had that because if you grew up reading Dragon Ball or watching it the way we did, it was always spoiled for you. Yeah. Because you were watching it out of order. You just knew you knew what kind of stuff was going to go down. You had to, to to make sense of where you were in the yeah. series. I knew what Super Saiyan 3 Goku looked like before I knew what Super Saiyan 2 Gohan looked like because yeah. I'd seen the toy on like a page on the internet. I think. And so that's what I think makes Super so exciting is it's, it's let's do something new with it. And I, I think they do substantively. So let's talk about the three arcs. Yeah. Um, the Universe 6 versus Universe 7 arc. 
I just, when I hit this part, Sean, it was like a warm bath. It was so comforting, but also new yeah. because it was, we're going to do a tournament again, and they actually did a tournament. And that's what, what made me so happy is Toriyama would keep just tickling, tickling you with like, I'm going to do a tournament. No. I'm going to a tournament. No, I'm ending the series. The series is over. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know? That's how he did it the last time. And so we never got another. Even the fucking BoJack movie starts with a tournament, and then BoJack shows up, and they have to leave. Yeah. Like, I think the only... You have the filler Otherworld tournament yep. with the Grand Kai, like, all that. So that's the, the last one. The Budokai, yeah. which is an arc I like because I like tournaments so yeah, much. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's not... Amazing, um, but I like the part where the Goku and Paikuan like touch the ceiling, and that's so how. Good. Yeah, that's a really good ending. But yeah, other than that, there you had cell games, not really a tournament. Nope, <laughs> two fights. You know, <laughs> three if you really want to count Mr. Satan. You have the, the as you said, the aborted tournament where you just basically get Videl versus Popovich, which is horrifying, and then Gohan going Super Saiyan two. That's everything that happened. I think Krillin beats someone up. That's yes. like that's that whole tournament. And then you get the little one at the end that is yeah. you get almost nothing from. Again, it's the one where he's setting up like, yay, we're going to get a tournament. And then, oh, he ended the series. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you get all that. Um, but here we have that. Uh, I think Champa is a great character. I love Vados. I love their interplay with Beerus and Whis. I think all the Universe 6 fighters are fun, even if they're not really characters like Botamo or... What's the big metal guy? Uh, I can never remember his name. But you know yeah. who I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. And, and he's great. And, and they're really fun. Even if they're not characters, they're fun like designs and they're fun to fight. But then you have people like Kaba, who one of the best episodes Dragon Ball has ever done is Vegeta versus Kaba, where Vegeta realizes pretty early on he's going to win. But instead of just knocking this kid out, he decides to teach him. Yeah. And that's how the fight goes. Or um, Goku versus, uh, not Kula, what is his name? Uh, Frost. Frost. Sorry, I can't keep all the Frieza analogs yes. straight. But you have Frost, who you think is a nice Frieza, but then Goku is mysteriously eliminated and we don't know why, and Piccolo figures it out, or someone does. Yeah, I think and, it's Piccolo. Yeah, and, and so you have Frost, and you have Hit, who's an awesome character. And it's just, it's a blast. It's really well-paced. Every fight is fun. And I, I do think the highlight of that arc for me is the Vegeta Kaba episode because it's just a great episode. But oh my god, when Goku goes Kaioken, Super Saiyan Blue, yeah, fucking fucking good. Yes, it's yeah, it's it's you know again, it's it, compared to the Goku Black the Tournament of Power stuff, it's definitely the weakest of those. But it's where Dragon Ball Super starts finding itself, and it is for me, it is like in terms of the fight stuff, it is Goku versus Hit. In terms of the character stuff, it's Vegeta versus Kaba. Like that's the like, that was where... I, I probably, after I watched that episode at some point, like, the next time I had seen you after that, tried to be like, Jonathan, you should watch Dragon Ball Super without trying to tell you exactly yeah. why. Because I knew you would love that so much because they just find this really interesting... Which is something that, that Dragon Ball Super continues to do from this point forward. Finding really interesting perspectives on the characters you know so well that build off of what you know about them. And, and Vegeta... Not just doing the thing like he does in the Broly movie where he's just constantly saying, I'm the prince of all Saiyans. Like, it's me. I'm the Saiyan prince. But you never, there's nothing, there's no substance to it. It's just like, I'm the prince. I'm the prince. Which is something he developed in the Saiyan and Frieza stuff because he had the inferiority complex to Frieza. And it had meaning there. But that past that point, every time he says he's the prince of Saiyans, it's like, dude, there's two of you. Like, shut the fuck. There's two of you or there's like five if you want to cast on the movies. I don't know. Shut the fuck up. But you, you like, you killed... Like, the other Saiyan. You blew fucking Nappa up and you refused to revive Raditz. Fuck off. Um, and, and But here in Dragon Ball Super, you get that sense of, oh, right, no, he is the Prince of Saiyans. Like, even if there's only two of them, 
that pride he has is not just a character flaw. There is a positive element to it also, which is this sense of like, he's royalty. Like he knows how to lead Kabe. He knows how to command him and he knows how to push him forward. And you see that him having grown softer, I think as he would call it, through his relationships with Kakarot and Bulma and Trunks and like getting a family has made him into the kind of person that if the Saiyans were a race again, like if there were, if he had a people to lead, he could lead them. And that's what you see in that Kaba episode. And that's so fascinating. It's so much better than any other material, any like pre super like non-canonical extra material with Vegeta that, that anything has ever done. Because Vegeta has always been a great character. From the yes. moment we see him in the Saiyan arc, you just... I, I think you see that character design and you know he's going to be there for the rest of time. Mm -hmm. Because he's not there in the beginning. I mean, Vegeta feels essential, but he's not in half of the manga. You know? yeah. He comes in... I mean, it's not quite the halfway point, but you know what I mean. And uh, yet, I think they've... We've, certainly other media has struggled. And even in the manga, I think Toriyama goes up and down a little bit in his treatment of Vegeta. Like, I think... All the way through the Namek stuff, Vegeta is characterized perfectly. His stuff in the Vegeta arc and then in the Namek arc is so interesting up to his death where he, his pride both dooms him to die, basically, but also makes him reach out to Goku and beg him to kill Frieza. Yeah. And Goku takes that with him into that fight and it's amazing. Vegeta's death makes me tear up in the anime. It's yeah. so well done. But then you get to the, the Cell arc, and even though Vegeta is, an, is a major character there, I think he waxes and wanes in terms of how interesting I find him in that arc. Um, sometimes he's very interesting, sometimes he's not. It's, but it is this period where I think Vegeta waxes and wanes on how much he wants to even be on Earth, you know? Yeah. Um, because he's, he's, he's a stranger in a strange land, basically, right? And then the Boo arc is... That is the biggest thing left at the end of the Boo arc that feels like there's more story to tell, is Vegeta. Because what Vegeta's arc is in the Boo arc is... He has settled down. You think he's okay with the life he's living. Then Babidi comes in. He gives himself over to Madoshi Babidi. He becomes a Majin, you know, character. Yeah. And he becomes evil again. He sacrifices himself to try to atone for his sins. He dies. He eventually comes back. And in coming back, he realizes, no, Goku is better at this than me. And I need to be here to support him. Not to just try to force my pride on everyone. And what and it's not that Vegeta like becomes a hero through that. What he does is he reaches this like level where it's like, I think I can live with this now. Yeah. And what Super does, and I think this is the masterstroke of Super with Vegeta, but also maybe just with the series, is it says, Well, how does Vegeta actually live with that day to day? He's made this choice, he's made this commitment where he saved Earth. He helped Goku. He admitted that Kakarot is better than him. Now how does he live day to day with it? And we see that in the episodes where he's just hanging out with his family and, and just and off going and training with Whis, but also not forgetting his responsibilities to his wife and son and all that. Um, but then you get to the Kaba stuff and it's, well, how does he live with it? It's if he's going to encounter Saiyans again, he's going to be a better man about it. He's going to be a better Saiyan than he was before. He's going to be a better yeah. prince and he's going to use that pride for a much more positive end and I think it's really interesting because Vegeta is this character who is never in stasis he is in a constant state of flux that's what makes him so compelling that's why he is the model for so many other anime characters yeah. as the bad guy who turned good because he's the bad guy who never quite lost his bad boyness. you yeah, know he always has that edge he always has bad man on his pink shirt yes <laughs> It's great. He looks so good in that pink shirt. They Fuck need yeah, to bring it back. But anyway, uh, he rocks it. But anyway, you know, so so seeing Vegeta, I think, really have to learn how to 
live with this as a person and they they actualize that through Kaba and through the future trunk stuff and through then in the universe survival arc um including like where he's absent from the universe survival arc also tells you a lot about Vegeta like he's not there for the entire recruitment thing because he's taking care of his pregnant wife like yeah. And, like, that's a choice he's made, and it says fucking volumes, because he has grown up more than Goku has at this point. Yeah, I love... That's one of the things I love so much about his character in Super is the... Vegeta is a good dad. Yeah. Like, he, he's, like, especially by the standards of Dragon Ball, he's almost <laughs> as good a dad as Piccolo is. Like, not quite Piccolo levels, but he's almost there. Yes. Um, no, I mean, he becomes... I mean, there's a moment where... Like, they are so good about characterizing him that when Bra, Bulla, her name is really Bra, yeah. it's easier just to say Bulla, um, is born, they do this amazing moment where he holds her, and he does it under this pretension of like, no, Trunks, you're doing it wrong. But what it's a callback to is is the moment he dies in Z, uh, the second time he dies in Z, as, as Majin Vegeta, and he says to Trunks, I never held you as a kid, I'm sorry, you know, go be good to your mother, and then he dies. And it's clearly a conscious he is growing from that moment. And there's just, there's things like that that carry throughout Super that, you know, I don't know if that's Toriyama at the wheel. I don't know if that's just a story team that is really attuned to where the story has been and where it should go. But whoever it is, it's really smart stuff. Yeah. And, and that, that fight between him and Kappa and him pushing Kappa to become a Super Saiyan is just awesome. It's so good. Yeah. And by the way, this is all, we're going to have to talk about this at the end, this is all why I'm excited for the Broly movie, because it mm -hmm. feels like that's why you bring Broly back, is because you have Vegeta. And yeah. Vegeta, in this continuity, would react to Broly so, so differently. His, I, I can't wait. We'll yeah. get to that. So anyway, anything else to say about the Universe 6 arc? It's cool. It's so like cool. It. Yeah. Also, the last episode where they make the wish mm -hmm. on the Super Dragon... Uh, and we basically just have 15 minutes of super fucking trippy animation. It's the trippiest thing Dragon Ball has ever done. And then it ends with, again, that great character moment for Beerus where Beerus does something nice for his brother Champa. Uh, it's, it's so cool. And it's like, it's such a neat expansion of Dragon Ball's aesthetic boundaries. Because this is also where they're starting to get the animation in whack. It's not great throughout that arc. But it's great in pockets, yeah. you know? Um, and it will start to get good consistently from here on out. Mm -hmm. But yeah. All right, Future Trunks arc. It, I think the Universe Survival arc is better. I would definitely say that. The Future Trunks arc is the most fucking mind-blowing. Yeah, it's, especially when you're in like that middle stretch where it's like there's... It constantly twists and you're there's like... What the, when you're, they really have you on the edge of your seat trying to figure out what the fuck is Goku Black exactly. Yeah, Because we'll it's play. not just evil Goku. It's so clearly immediately this is not just evil Goku. Like when they first teased the Goku Black thing, I thought for sure it was Goku from a parallel universe that did, did not get his head bumped. It became evil. Yep. Like I thought all... Because it was something that like... I'm sure there's some dumb Dragon Ball Heroes card thing, whatever, that has done that. But it was, it's always been a thing that I'm like, I can't believe I've never seen that in Dragon Ball. In like a, like a game or something, here's, here's Goku who didn't have his head bumped and wiped out humanity. And, and what if Go that was the Goku we had? And you with the multiverse setup, you so clearly have this opportunity to do it. And then with time travel, you have such an opportunity to do it. But the direction they went in is so, so much better than that idea. 
It's because Toriyama is the ultimate not backwards looking artist. Exactly. He doesn't give a fuck. He, he doesn't remember he wrote that, Sean. Yeah, he doesn't remember like half the characters that were in Dragon Ball. Like, who cares? On the original Tonkoban, the graphic novel spines, there's an image that goes across the spines, and Yaji Robe is on it twice within about five volumes <laughs> because he forgot he drew. And he says that in the opening of that volume. He's like, My editors told me after I submitted the art that Yaji Robe is on here twice, but I didn't I didn't want to fix it. I'm too lazy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's who he is, and so yeah, we're not going to do that. We're going to go forward, and yeah. So you have, I mean, that first episode where you just start, because that first episode is set, I think, entirely in the future. Yes, and we're just following Mm -hmm. Trunks, and it's even worse than it was the last time we checked in with Trunks, and it's him and Bulma, and this is the other thing. Like, I mean, for me, one of the things that haunts all of the last half of Super is the death of Hiromi Tsuru, who voiced Bulma. Yeah, who. I mean, let's just back up for a second, because there's actually two things that haunt me. There are three actors who are in the first episode of Dragon Ball who have been in Dragon Ball ever since. And that's Joji Yanami, who is the narrator, and he's also later Kaiosama, and he voices... He's, like, in every episode as the random voice in the background, too. Like, he's also Dr. Briefs and things like that. Um, So you have Joji Yanami, who's the narrator, you have Hiromitsuru, who is Bulma, and you have Masako Nozawa as Goku. And those three have just been a constant in the show ever since. Joji Anami uh, is in the beginning of Super for about 12 episodes. And if you listen to the Japanese, it's really, really hard to listen to his parts because he's so clearly struggling with the lines. Yeah. And he had had a stroke. He had a lot of medical problems. And he eventually stepped back from the show and they recast the narrator and, and Kaya with someone else. Who so I think did a really admirable job through Super. But I will always feel a twinge of sadness when I hear the narrator yeah. and it's not Joji Anami. And, and after that point... Uh, Kaiosama kind of stopped yeah. appearing in Dragon Ball Super, basically. Yeah, he appears yeah. like very. There's there's the one episode where Goku is trying to get the Dragon Balls to to resurrect Kaio finally, yeah. and that's the most significant use of Kaiosama. Um, so yeah, so Joji Yanami is is so he's he is still alive, but he's not working anymore. Uh, Hiromi Tsuru died near the end of Dragon Ball Super. Um, she. She died young. She was in her 60s. Um, I think she had an aneurysm, was the official cause of death. And uh, tragic, she had been, again, just a constant presence. And, you know, by the time... I mean, she died during the tournament arc where Bulma is not really in that part of the story anymore, um, which means her final line in Dragon Ball is, she says, you guys are our last hope as she's watching them fly away to the tournament. It's it's so poignant, you can't even believe it. Because I also... I don't know if it was... If this happened... While, like, when she died, or if it was like they had just moved on from this ending animation, um, but they had that, the, I don't know, Boogie, Boogie Back, Back. Is the song, yeah. Yeah, which has, it's like, old, like, young Bulma from the beginning of Dragon Ball yeah. and old Bulma from Dragon Ball Super. It's my favorite ending from Dragon Ball Super. It's great. And, I believe and, she was still alive for that. I think that was just happenstance. Yeah. But I think, I think maybe, yeah, because it was just, well, no, I know that that ending was not a tribute to her right but I think maybe she died while they were using that ending because I just remember seeing that ending knowing she had moved on and just it really hit me hard yeah and and you know when I watched Super I watched it knowing she had passed um and and so the thing is though like as horrible as that is one of the nice things Super does is that the future Trunks arc is as good a send off to that character or that voice at least, because you you can't get rid of Bulma from Dragon Ball. They're going to have to keep going with her. Yeah. Um, because she's a huge character in that, both as future Trunks' mom, but then also as the Bulma we know who helps Trunks. And, you know, it's, it's, it's somewhat fortuitous that they had a story that used her a lot, knowing that 
she ultimately passed away um, because she's really well used throughout that arc. Uh, although it was extra traumatic to me because old Bulma does die in the first yes, episode yeah. of the Future Trunks mm-hmm. arc. Um, but it's a very dramatic start. And then again, she is a super active member of the team throughout that entire stretch of the show. But yeah, so the Future Trunks arc starts off really fucking intense with Black just decimating our last characters in the future. Because Trunks also thinks Mai is dead. Mm-hmm. And then Trunks gets back by the skin of his teeth and now there's a mystery of there's this guy, he has a time ring, he's an evil Goku, and he's destroying my future and I don't know what the hell is going on. And he can move through dimensions also because he appears briefly in the present day. And then like Beerus senses a godly energy about him. They go and they visit Zamasu and uh, Golas, yeah. who, uh, who are the... Uh, who, that actor also just died. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's fucking, it's fucking sad. There's so many old actors on Dragon Ball, you're going to be really sad if you watch it long enough. Yeah. Um, but anyway. Uh, but yeah, they go and meet. That's the universe 12 people, right? I think or, it's 12. Or, yeah, it's 12. Yeah. And so you have those characters, and Zamas is, at this point, just the like kind of, you know... Um, like rebellious young like Kaioshin in training yeah and they're trying to figure out what's going on there and so Beerus is wrapped into the mystery meanwhile we're trying to figure out how to defeat Goku Black and it is a hell of an arc it is one of the only arcs and I would include because I think the, the the universe survival arc I love I didn't think it I think it has some pacing issues here and there the future Trunks arc is crazy well paced yeah because it's like every episode is what it wants to be right up until the last episode which is pretty bad and needed to be like three episodes at least <laughs> But um, other than that, it is just so well paced and laid out, and it is, uh, I want to say a page turner, even though it's not on, on, on the page, it's a show, but it, it's, you just can't, I did, again, I did nine episodes of it in one sitting, Yeah, it's crazy good. Yes, it's, it is, it's trying to unravel that mystery, I think I said about it on the podcast after I had watched it, that it was basically Dragon Ball Super kind of trying to recapture some of the feeling of that middle bit of the Android Cell stuff Mm -hmm. where it's transitioning from Android to Cell where there's like you know it's one of those my favorite episodes ever of Dragon Ball Z is that when they discover the other time machine and Trunks and Gohan and Bulma go check it out it's just like that blew my mind so much as a kid it's just like what the fuck is going on like we have all these androids to deal with the android situation is already so fucked because there was way more that there's there's five androids there's supposed to be two two of them are dead but there's still one more than there was supposed to be the other two are stronger than they're supposed to be and now there's another goddamn time machine with a bug fucker in it what the fuck is going on yes and if this has that quality just like there's another time machine and 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 i love that so much yeah, it's, it's really cool. And then when the fights start, I mean, my God, they've pretty much gotten the animation in order at this point. Mm-hmm. It is really good. I also think it's worth talking about the music because I do think overall I find the music to be a weak link on Dragon Ball Super. I think Norihito Sumitomo has some good music. I like, I, like, I like some of the tracks in Battle of Gods. I like some of the tracks in Resurrection F. It does not ever sound super Dragon Ball-y to me. Um, I think the music in classic Dragon Ball and Z by Shunsuke Kikuchi is just so fucking masterful and great. You can never really replace it. But I think Kikuchi during the future Trunks arc gets pushed in new directions and starts doing better stuff. And I think there's some really cool music in that arc um, that complements some of the just wild, almost surreal imagery that happens. Yeah. And I think it, it, it works well. 
And of course, you know, the you get Super Saiyan Blue Vegito, which is great. Yes. But the best part is when Trunks just summons the power of all his people and uses the Z his sword and it becomes this just fucking beam of light. And this is where it really is Hideaki Anno's Dragon Ball uh-huh. and just cuts, you know, Zamasu merged in half and with that amazing like choral music in the background, it gets really good. Yeah, and I just love the the dynamic of Trunks like has been pushed so far beyond any reasonable limit of that like it's not oh my family is dead it's not like my species is dead it's like this entire world is falling apart again like i already went through all this shit to save it and now again it is falling apart and and not only is it falling apart but it's not because it's just cell who's like an evil android bug monster it's a god who who is this arrogant piece of shit like like zamasu is such a great villain um, both Zamasu and Goku Black, who are it's like another version of Zamasu, um, incredible villains, incredible performances, um, and and but they're just you you love to hate them so much in that moment where Trunks is pushed to the absolute limit and and be, like becomes this crazy other weird form of Super Saiyan that where he's just like fuck this shit like no no more and he he pushes himself beyond that limit and it's just that it's i think it's that like right at the end of an episode he's just stomping he doesn't have pupils in his eyes anymore he's just like fucking no way dude i'm gonna kick your ass like it's a great moment it's a great moment and the the thing that is the downfall of the future trunks arc yeah. is a downfall it doesn't ruin the arc but it does cheapen it to me is that the last episode like the way the arc should have ended is where we just described it. Trunks yeah. summons his strength, cuts him in half. That is such an amazing ending. It, it feels so true to Dragon Ball. It puts it all on Trunks. It's a really, really great ending. And then in the next episode, Zamasu returns as this like weird ethereal being. And you know, look, this is not out of character for Dragon Ball. There are plenty yeah. of moments where you think the villain is beaten and they come back one more time like that. That literally is the Vegeta fight, the Frieza fight, the Cell fight, the Boo fight. Boo fight 25 yeah. times. It's, they do it over and over again. But it happens, and in a very... This, this is all one episode. In a very compressed span of time, Zamasu destroys Trunks' entire world and all of his friends and family, the remaining friends. He has no remaining family. <laughs> um, and all of them are dead. And then Goku summons Zeno, brings Zeno, has Zeno destroy everything, leaves... Everything's gone. Trunks is really sad. Goku goes back, gets Zeno, gives Zeno to the other Zeno. So now there's two Zeno. Then Goku comes back. Whis says to Trunks, well, maybe I can put you in an alternate timeline before all this shit happened. Because we go, we already killed Zamasu. Because there's that episode where Beerus does the Hakai. Yeah, he and, just and disintegrates that fucker. Yep, it's great. And so they do that. And Trunks goes home. But it's then they don't really grapple with at all that this is Trunks going to an alternate dimension. Like, it's really fucking weird. It completely breaks all the, like, rules they've kind of laid, carefully laid out throughout this arc. And then it's just kind of over, and it's really weird, because the right version of that to me is Trunks would defeat Zamasu, and then the final episode would just be denouement from that, and, yeah. like, winding down. And instead it's more rising action, and then a really abbreviated denouement, and then we just kind of have to move on, and it's it's pretty deeply unsatisfying, and I'm, I'm sad they couldn't have a, a stronger conclusion to that. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, it's been long enough since I watched it that, like, I don't even remember how it ended, honestly, because I think it just has that really rushed quality to it. Some of the stuff I do remember from the Future Trunks arc, though, is earlier, before, like, the fights start in earnest, where you have 
that little that period of time where Trunks gets to revisit everybody from yep. the timeline, which is like because this is like for me, this is what you if you want to if you bring back Future Trunks, this is the stuff you want to do with him is to have him see what is this world that he helped save. Because if Trunks had not gone back in time, our timeline would have been fucked as well. It would have right? just been his timeline. Yeah, exactly. So it's and it's it is so great, and it's particularly when he goes and visits Gohan and realizes that Gohan, the Gohan that he knew that became his master, you know, in like the history of Trunks special and all of that, who lost his arm and, and, and the, the reason why Trunks became Super Saiyan, that Gohan never comes to exist in this universe because he gets to live the life that Gohan wanted to be able to live. They have, he settled down with Videl, he has a daughter in Pan, he's, he gets to become a scholar, he doesn't have to fight because he's never liked fighting, all he wanted was to be an academic, um, and he gets that life and Trunks visiting Gohan again and, and seeing that, it hit me so hard. That's the best episode of this arc. Yeah. Like if Because there are, I think, Super is weird because, you know, old Dragon Ball, I couldn't really tell you individual episodes other than like, you know, Goku, Go, Gohan goes Super Saiyan 2 or something. But it's yeah. not episodic. Super does have, because it's paced differently, it's not based on a manga. Yeah. There are discrete episodes that are just great half hours. And I think the Vegeta Kaba episode is a great, all-time great half hour this one's even better, the one with Gohan and Future Trunks. It's because it's got no fighting. It doesn't even have the big drama of that arc. It's just that Trunks experiencing this humanity that he is so detached from. Yeah. And it's it's beautiful. It's a, it's one of the best parts of Dragon Ball ever, frankly. It's it's an amazing half hour. Yeah, and it's one of the advantages of having this like more focused perspective of where you you kind of promote for this arc Trunks as being one of the lead characters, is you see things from his point of view in a way you never did for Future Trunks other than maybe that little like epilogue bit in the History of Trunks special. Everything else is like he's the kind of mysterious character on the edges. And here you see like he has fucking PTSD. Like, you know, he is so traumatized by the experiences he's had that he's having delusions and stuff and seeing the city as it's been destroyed. Um, he also has, there's that great moment. This is another one that hits me so hard where he sees Android 18 and realizes that Krillin has married her and that she's good. I mean, she kind of like teases him and jokes around with him. Uh, and it's like that stuff. Again, it's the, it's a little bit on the fan service side, but it is used in like such a powerful, legitimate character building and narrative exercise that it's not just like a, hey, like it would be cool to see if you have what, like what if like Future Trunks got to come back and meet all these characters again. It is using that to build up a larger character arc for Future Trunks in a way that it, it, it is a little bit fan service-y, but in the perfect way. Yes, I agree completely. So three other notes on this arc. One, Mai, awesome yes. character. She's great. And, and I love that Trunks... Have, even if I think the ending is unsatisfying, I like that Trunks has this person to go build a life with. Yeah. It's enough of like a hopeful ending for him that I think that works. Two, I like the blue hair. I know it's really divisive. Trunks has blue hair in this arc, oh, which right. is oh, yeah. which is which is a complete retcon. There is no version of Trunks in, in in the manga or the anime where Toriyama colored him with blue hair. He always had purple hair. But he now has blue hair, which matches Bulma's. I like it. I think it's really good. It looks cool. And I think it actually matches the like modern aesthetic of Dragon Ball better than if they had kept the purple hair. Yeah, I agree. I think it would be something if they were do if he if he looked like Dragon Ball Z trunks, I would I wouldn't like it. But he he's 
it's it's a different aesthetic entirely and like you know they changed his costume and everything i like his yeah. like red scarf kind of yep. thing like with that aesthetic i like his blue hair a lot yeah i think it's you know because toriyama did a new design for him and i think as a new design it all works really well and you know the blue hair rock so i like that yeah. third masako motherfucking nozawa in this arc i yeah. mean goku she's always great gohan always amazing in that episode we talked about with oh my god she's great in that mm-hmm. as goku black Fucking I don't. Yeah. When she gets to do evil Goku, it's always so fun. As Goku Black, it's it's fucking terrifying. Like every line she has, like I would have to listen to this all with headphones just so I could hear everything because the mix on Super is not all that great. Sometimes it's a, it sounds a little rushed, but you can you can just you can hear just it's just dripping with evil, and I love it. It's amazing. It's such an unbelievable performance. As soon as you get that first episode, and it, you get this. Because it's, because I just love the whole character. I love the, I love the super arrogant Dragon Ball villains. Like most of them are, but like this is, especially just this the the sense of I, it's not just a sense of I am right. It's this this feeling of like I have to be right because I am literally a god. And and that like there's a there's a self confidence to that that is even beyond the kind of shit that Frieza had. Whereas, like, Frieza had that self-consciousness because Frieza was really strong. But Frieza wasn't literally a god. There's, like, a sort of, like, a bulletproof argument almost that Zamasu gets to have. And in Masako Nozawa, that that just sheer cruel confidence in, in her performance is so, so just, like, delectable. I love it's, it. It's amazing. And I just... It's so clear to me that the, the logic behind all that is, like, we, we're doing a new arc. We need a new villain. Who should we get to voice them? Well, we have the best voice actor on planet Earth here mm. every week anyway. Let's let her do it because she. there will literally be no one better. Because yeah. Masako Nozawa is the best at what she does. So go for it, right? Yeah. All right. So actually before we get the Universe Survival arc, there is this stretch. And it's the last stretch of this directorial team before new directors come on and they switch the anime opening and the animation style. Where they just do like 12... I guess you would call them filler episodes. Filler technically denotes when you're filling for manga. They're not doing that here. So it's really not filler. But it is like episodic storytelling. This is where we get the one where Goku hires Hit to assassinate him. Oh my god, it's so good. It's the most Goku thing Goku has ever done. Is is he? Yeah, he he buys out Hit (laughs) for a fight. He does that. We get the one where Goku tries to get the Dragon Balls to resurrect Kaiosama. But everyone else wants a wish. And ultimately Kaiosama stays dead. That one's fun. Although, yeah. that one just... I was too sad about Joji Yanami to, yeah. to laugh at it. But there you go. You have that one. Uh, my favorite in this stretch is the baseball episode. It's the best, yeah. Where Champa and Vados come to do a baseball tournament with Universe 6 and 7. And Yamcha is the MVP of it. And it is so <laughs> winking and nodding. And it is great. Yeah, it's just because no, none of the other characters basically have any idea what baseball even is from like a conceptual point of view in yep. Yamcha this is where they pull in the like obscure fact from like Dragon Ball Z filler that Yamcha is a pro baseball player yep. and and so he's and, and and I love how confident he is at the beginning of that episode of like I've got this like I don't care how powerful they are I'm the only one who even knows how to play this game I'm the only one who has experience playing this game um, and then by the end of it he is back in his Yamcha hole where he belongs cradled into the ground <laughs> And, and you just, there's such a great, it, it's like the, one of the only times past like the very beginning of Dragon Ball where it has ever broken the fourth wall, but there's that moment where Krillin peeks over the edge and says, there's something about this pose that just, 
it really is familiar and it makes me uncomfortable. And like, if Gohan and Piccolo are like, yeah, right? It's because they're the, they're the only ones there that have been in that original fight. And it's so funny. Yep. So we have that. We have the Goku Arale episode. Yep. Which is, it's, it's fun. Um, That's where I love you have the Vegeta fighting Arale and Vegeta realizes that she's a gag manga character. And again, the weird fourth wall break. And so he's trying to beat her using gag manga rules by saying like, look over there and then kicking her into a wall. Yep. You have the two-parter about uh, Gohan and the great Saiyaman movie that's being mm-hmm. made, which is really fun and is also very sweet because of how it deals with Gohan and his family life. And that's where it feels like they bring... They, it feels so much of a piece with the great Saiyaman filler from yeah. the beginning of Majin Buu where they expand out that part from the manga. This is also one of the ones where Jocko is on board for the mm-hmm. adventure because uh, yeah. uh, Jocko isn't here. He's awesome. Uh, you get the one where Goku and uh, Kr- Goku has no one to train with so he goes with Krillin and they do the the fight in like the weird spiritual dimension. Mm, right. And it's it's not my favorite of this but it does a good job of setting up uh, Krillin for what'll come in the next yep. arc. So you have all of those and my takeaway from those like 12 episodes or so is that I want a series where they do just like a normal run of anime, like 26 episodes, and just do that. Just do standalone stories yeah. and let people invent. And maybe even bring in like guest writers. Like, I'd love to see Ichiro Oda or someone like just write a Dragon Ball episode. Yeah. That'd be so much fun. Um, and they could do things like that because it's a really fun, just like, what if Dragon Ball were a sitcom? Mm-hmm. For like a season, yeah. And that's kind like, of... what if Dragon Ball was like a weird slice of life anime? Yeah, yeah. It's it's really cool. So anyway, I like that. But then we hit the changeover. We get our new directors. We get the new animation style, which it, it's not so much a style as like a production process, but it does look different. It's got this kind of grain on it. It looks a little earthier. I like it a lot. It, it looks better. Yeah. Um, it doesn't look so digital, which I think I I do have a problem with Super and the first two movies. Just looks so digital and like they're not CGI, but you know. Yeah, well, the movies have a little bit of CGI in them. Yeah, but yeah. but, but um, it's just a little too digital for my taste. But the the new process looks a little, like I said, earthier and 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 more grounded. Uh, you get the new theme song, which is fucking amazing, Genkai Topa X Survivor, yeah. and you get the new story, which is Goku initially does the worst thing anyone has ever done in Dragon Ball and breaks, you know, Beerus's rule and goes and talks to Zeno and gets him to set up a tournament where people, where entire universes will be erased from existence. And it's kind of horrifying. It all works out in the end. You yeah. know, Goku didn't mean to, but it is probably a bad thing he did. Well, you, well no, because Zeno-sama was going to destroy, start a cult yes. universe anyways, and it was only by offering the opportunity of the tournament that all the universes could prove their worth in the end, and then he spares all of them. It's great. It's, yes. It's exactly what Goku planned. It's not what Goku planned, but I do love that they eventually give Goku that out because yeah. otherwise, I don't know if I would like Goku. Yeah, though. it would be too much. But like, it, but I also like that the out is very plausible. And yes. It feels like it's it's a little bit cliche, but it feels like what the characters would have done. Of course, yeah. So we get the universe survival arc, and the first half is not the first half, but the first twenty episodes or so is Goku assembling the Universe Seven team. We get a lot of fun episodes here. Uh, I love that Gohan, who had really not been a factor in Super up to this point. He's only a side character in the two movies. He's not in the Universe 6 arc at all. He's in that one episode of Future Trunks. And then he's gone for a lot of that. So, But now Gohan is like the first guy Goku confides in. Yeah. And father and son like become a team here, putting the team together. That's really cool. And yes. I love that Gohan, like because it's literally all of his everything will be erased Gohan's like yeah I should probably fight again yeah it's like okay dad I'll get back into this yes and Gohan it's a really I I love how Gohan is used in Super even when he's not used like 
One of the things I like is that they just let Gohan grow up. And yeah, they, they, res- they respect the character arc that he had um, through the Boo stuff. Because I know a lot of people, it's particularly in the West, I don't know what the Japanese perspective on this is, but I know that it's a very common feeling that Gohan should have, after beating Cell, Gohan should have just been the main character and he should have filled the role of Goku and been the fighter dude and done all the fighting stuff. And I understand why people would feel that way, but I really actually way prefer... No, like Gohan's arc has never been about him needing to be the guy who's always in the fight. It is about him like needing to know like when when he needs to fight to fight and to be that person that can do that and fight for the white right reasons. But it is more about like he needs to be able to live the life that he wants to live. And that's where the Boo arc recenters him back on at the beginning is he's a goofy kid who's smart yeah. and, and, and dumb and dumb in the funny ways, smart in the good ways. I also think people have this weird perception that Toriyama intended Gohan to be the new main yeah. character. He didn't. He, he didn't. brings, especially if you read the manga, the great Siaman thing is like two chapters in the manga. Yeah. It's really, really short. It's extended and actually pretty substantively changed in the anime. In the manga, he brings Goku back immediately. Like, there's no downtime there. It's it's never, this is clearly our new main character. It's, we're going to be with Gohan for a little bit, but Goku's coming back. Yeah. Uh, because Goku is the main character of Dragon Ball. You just can't do it without him. Um, so yeah, I, respe- I respect that character growth too. I love that the show lets him grow. And when they do bring him back for the universe survival arc, they let him be a fighter who feels informed by all those things that happened. Like, he's yeah. the tactician. He's he's in Fire Emblem. He's the guy you'd be playing as, directing the troops around the field. And now that I've said that, I want the Dragon Ball's tactical game where but, Gohan yeah. is your tactician. And you like, you're like, go, you know, Goku is your heavy or something. But you move your pieces around the board. I, oh, I fucking want that. Yeah. Because there's a just a there's a couple of moments when they're like setting up the team with Gohan where you know they have he goes back to Piccolo to start over from the beginning like train me up again Piccolo and I love there's some moments in there where there's some really great insights into Gohan's character where Piccolo kind of points out that it's like you always do this like you always do this arrogant bullshit thing where once you get a big power up and you think you're the the big strong guy in the room that you always let your guard down you always let yourself. Like, you always let it go to your head, which is so true. It's, it's ever since the very beginning of Dragon Ball Z, when Gohan was introduced, he has, that has always been what he did, whether it's against, like, the Saiyan or Frieza stuff, or it's against, very much against Cell. That's how Goku gets fucking killed. And then when it's against Majin Buu, he shows up, he's all-powerful, he's big, tough guy, I can, I can kick your ass, and then he lets his guard down, lets himself get absorbed. And, and I love that they then, like... Piccolo points that out and says, we need to work on that and you need to get better at that. And that sets him up for them being in the, the tournament that he then gets to be the tactician because he knows to be cool-headed and he knows that I am nowhere near the most powerful person in this tournament. That's not where my advantage lies. My advantage lies in my intelligence. Yes, it's really cool. And it's, we've talked about this before, Sean. The most mind-blowing thing Masako Tozawa has ever done isn't Goku Black, as great as that is, it is Goku and Gohan as adults somehow being fully separate characters yeah. where you can just close your eyes, listen, and you will always know which one it is, even though vocally they are not that far apart. Yeah. It's fucking crazy. Some of it is the writing. They're very well written as different characters. Their speaking style is different. But it's also just it's just this slight intonation difference. That's Gohan, that's Goku, and you never doubt. Yeah. 
Yeah. There's also a moment with Gohan and Goku that I love where they have their little practice fight. And Goku has this line that, that hits me really hard where he's he says, you know, I've been spending all this time trying to find all these other super strong people to fight. And I've forgotten I've had you right here beside me the whole time, Gohan. That really gets me. That's a good line. No, I'm yeah. getting I'm getting choked up by it's this. Good. It's good stuff, yeah. Dragon Ball Super is so good. It has just such a strong sense of its characters. It it's, does. It's incredible. Yeah, so you have all these. I mean, all the episodes where they're recruiting the different fighters is is so much fun. Um, I think that you, you have the Gohan stuff we talked about. You have, obviously, Krillin and Android 18 come along. Yeah. That's a really fun one where they do this big sparring match. My favorite one, though, is the Android 17 stuff. Mm -hmm. Because, spoiler alert, my whole takeaway from the tournament is that Android 17 is the biggest revelation of the entire universe survival arc. Because, spoiler, he survives to the fucking end. Yep. Which, if you gave me a million years in a fucking padded room reading Dragon Ball, I would never have predicted that. Yeah. Um, that that's where they would go with it. It's so good. He is he is such a reborn character. Because I always love 17 in, the, in that arc. But... 18 is the character who they pick to like be the one who grows and changes. 17 is like the other one in the background. And somehow without changing who 17 was, who we knew earlier, like I love how he's become a park ranger and he has a family and but he is still kind of this detached being because he is half robot. Yeah, and, and he's he like sees things as like this weird game. Like he has that weird aloof perspective that he's yeah. always had. Like, eh, let's just ride around in the car because it's fun. It's yeah. Like it's the thing that humans do. I guess I don't know. Yeah, it's it's all of that's neat. And the episodes, I guess there's two of them where Goku recruits seventeen. The animation in those is fucking out of this world. Yeah, the Goku seventeen fight in particular is just like oh so. It, it sets up how good the fights are going to start looking yes. in the tournament. Yeah, so I love that. And then of course you get the big surprise here. Here, which is the return of the evil emperor himself, Frieza. When you realize that they're doing it, you just have to sit back and cackle that they're going there because it is so obvious but also audacious. But they, because it is really obvious and it's been something, as soon as they started talking about and setting up the tournament of power stuff, I'm like, oh man, I, they, I hope they need to bring Frieza back because Frieza's so good. It's, one of the, it's the thing that is the best part about Resurrection F to me is just having... Frieza back and being at the top of the drag like classic Dragon Ball villain food chain and having him be the most powerful of them because he's the most memorable. He's the best Dragon Ball villain. Yeah, he like, is. I mean, it's it's fucking Frieza. Because it's what's fun with Frieza also is I think Frieza is a character who Toriyama wrote and he's great in the manga, but the anime kind of took and ran with because Ryusei Nakao uh -huh, yeah. is so good as that character. And it's like all the villains are well voiced, but I think Ryusei Nakao did the most to like elevate what Toriyama wrote off the page as the villain and it's just kind of at a certain point like because Ryusei Nakao is a regular on Super he's yeah. in every arc either as Frost or Frieza other than the future Trunks stuff yeah. but he's there throughout all of it and he should be he's just he's such a good part of that cast he's such a natural fit for it and I think bringing back Frieza and making him a longer term villain slash frenemy is the right way to go yeah and, and i love that the way that they do it in the turn of power stuff is that through like the whole building up the team thing you have all the like the op and the ed and stuff and like the eye catches you have majin buu is in all that shit and and for a long time you think majin buu is going to be in the team and you have the whole episode where goku goes and recruits majin buu you have the whole exhibition <laughs> tournament no, you have the thing where buu has gotten all yes. buffed up <laughs> yes buu buu goes and buu decides to trade and it's super weird looking buff buu and that's great buu's in the exhibition tournament um and and, and it's also like a build off of a joke from the 
the universe six universe seven tournament where boo couldn't do it because he failed the test right <laughs> um and so they're all like it's it's playing off that and you think oh boo's gonna be in it and i like majin boo a lot but i don't think there's not a lot more to do with him he's a fun presence when you can have him be there in like a movie he's or the guy you want to piss off beerus because he won't give up the pudding yes and 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 he's good like the exhibition match that he has with one of the trio de dangers um trio is, de dangers. yeah is like that's the that's all the boo i needed and i was like i was happy you got a good boo episode with that fight but i was like i really don't think i need majin boo in the tournament and then it's like oh no nope. nope boo's not going to be in the tournament Oh yeah, yes we are. Yes, Goku is going to go to hell, and yes, he's going to break out Frieza, and it's the best. Just that whole sequence where they're like, they they're back at Fortune Teller Baba's like palace or whatever, and they're just like, like hate flirting with each other, <laughs> and and Frieza punches Goku in the gut. He's like, oh, and then Goku, they're talking, and then Goku punches Frieza in the gut. He's like, yes, this is this is what I wanted. I want. Because I don't want Frieza to go full Vegeta. I don't no. want, like, he can't ever be a good guy. But having the circumstances be so extreme that they literally need to work together and have to see those characters bounce off of each other that way, it's so good. It's it's what you want. It's, I said this before, they just go full Spike from Buffy with him. Yes. But, but like season four Spike from Buffy, where he's not Buffy's, like, lover yet. But you can see they're going to fuck at some point. Yeah, exactly. It's Because they are totally hate flirting the entire fucking arc. It is all this like tit for tat. Like there's the scene in the tournament after the first fight with Jiren where Frieza gives Goku energy. Um, which is both a payback for what happened in yeah. the Frieza arc. But also Frieza needs Goku around to like win this thing for yeah. him. Um, and it's just, it's just this great constant flirtation that keeps getting elevated. And I love yeah. it. Oh, it's good stuff. Okay. So, yes, they have that recruitment. Frieza also does some evil shit where he kills all the assassins sent to kill him. Right, yes. Yeah. And, yep, and then uh, then we get the actual tournament, Sean. Off off, off to space we go. Uchu, ego. Yes. Anyway, um, it's, it's good stuff. And now we have the actual tournament. It's like the last 33 episodes of the series. It is very long. And I think it's interesting to talk about why the Tournament of Power works, for us at least, and why it shouldn't, because on paper, it's a horrible idea <laughs> yeah. to some degree. Because what you're having is one big battle royale on one stage, one set for 33 episodes, where we're going to have 80 people fight until there's no one left. And we're going to be erasing tournaments in the, or universes in the middle, which sounds too dark for Dragon Ball. And it sounds like that could get awfully repetitive, awful fast. And I know for some people it did. Um, I don't think it's perfectly paced, but I think it's largely surprisingly well paced. And I think the last 20 episodes or so especially are. Yeah. I think it gets off to a little of a rough start for me um, when they are first starting and don't quite know where to focus things. But overall it works and it is propulsive and I think they find ways to keep the battlefield changing and shifting and doing stuff with the backgrounds to make it not so monochromatic and obviously the fight choreography is very good. You also wonder, like, are they going to be able to make this feel character-focused when it's all fights? And they do. It very much harkens back to me, I think, to a lot of the stuff in the Tenkaichi Budokai tournaments where Toriyama would further character through the fights. Yep. And I think there's a lot of that in here. I think the amount of new characters we meet and... Are all of them a home run? No. Some of the designs are stupid, but they did have to design 80 new characters. Uh -huh. And the fact that at least half of them are kind of cool is fucking amazing. Yeah. Um, I think the Universe 11 people, especially Topo, who is my favorite, are generally really cool to have. 
Um, and overall, it just, it works. It shouldn't, but it does. Yeah, and I think part of it is it does the things that Dragon Ball Super had been doing the whole time, which is it, it surprises you. Like, that tournament did not in any way go anywhere near the way that I was expecting it to, structurally, in terms of, like, specific narrative beats, anything. Like like you said, like, Andrew 17 winning that tournament would never have guessed that, ever. I would have guessed that Krillin would win the tournament. That would actually make sense if you, if you knew that the end would be... Goku, Frieza versus a really strong guy and one human to help them, you would have guessed Krillin. Yeah. I mean, I was actually pretty sure for a good stretch at the beginning of the tournament before they, you know, because you knew that Jiren was going to be a big thing because before you even knew who Jiren was because he's in the fucking opening. Um, but I was sure that, yeah, the end of this tournament's going to be Goku versus Frieza. Frieza's got his evil plan. He's hatching in the background. Something's going to happen. And he's going to... Because I love, like, Frieza has, like, this, like fun antagonistic thing with the gods like it's a very one-sided antagonism where he's like i'm gonna one day i'm gonna fuck you guys up and, and the gods don't even really know he exists Beerus doesn't give a shit about him um but like you know frieza doesn't frieza can't tolerate having people more powerful than him around and so of course he's kind of got his vision set on the gods and i thought like for a long time at the beginning before they started doing migate no goku or ultra instinct and that stuff i thought that that's where the tournament was going to start going eventually interesting it was, it was eventually going to narrow down to a fight between goku and frieza and and like not to say that i think that would have been a good idea i just like in my head i was like trying to think of where it would go since jiren had not had anything really about him yet and he had no development I thought like he's that's like a red herring in the OP. Anime does that all the time, and the real thing's gonna be Goku versus Frieza ultimately. And and what they actually do, I think, is so much smarter, which is they one, they they take their time with the tournament focusing in on individual characters and giving characters their own episodes, both like for obviously our main people from Universe 7, but then also gives big moments and interesting looks at other characters, like particularly the characters from Universe 6, like Hit. And, and, and Kabe, and it gives them some good moments. And, and our new science, Kale and... Um, yeah, and Cauliflow. Cauliflow, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and just having this willingness to do what Dragon Ball Super had always done, which is have a really sharp sense of who our characters are, where they're at, and how to further them in a like very strong episodic model where you know like some of the most memorable episodes in all of dragon ball are some of the stuff here with like you know with Mutin roshi has his episode and that kind of stuff that feels or i remember you tweeted about this one about the uh, like the crazy full metal jacket fucking sniper fight that happens so with good. gohan and piccolo and tenshin han that's like tenshin han's big moment where he like sort of gets himself out to take those guys out like all that or you have you know there's just so many good little ideas that like not all of them are perfect and there are definitely some pacing issues but overall, you have so many strong individual episodes and so many strong trends and so many strong, strong themes to build on that it works its way up to then having the much more focused, what feels like a much more sort of, you know, traditional, like not like more like serialized story where it's when it starts paring down to our last couple of fighters, where it is still always episodic, but it's, it gets more to that Goku Black, like Paige Turner kind of feeling of like, I need to see what happens the next episode. Like, I need to see Goku and Jiren fight. I need to see what's happening with Vegeta and Topo. Yeah, I mean, I told the story that the way I finished Super was on a Tuesday night. I had nothing else to do. Well, 
let me rephrase that. I had so much else to do, yeah. but I wasn't able to focus on it because I was thinking of Super and I was just in kind of a sour mood and I knew what would make me happy is Dragon Ball because Dragon Ball always makes me happy. Yep. And so I sat down and I watched the final nine episodes in one sitting and I, and I made a pizza and it was great. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I think one of the reasons why the turn of power works so much for me is it's like is is while like there are bits of inconsistent pacing it has strong pacing in the sense of that like it's not paced the same way no. throughout it starts slow and maybe it's a little bit too slow in some of those parts but it allows that to build like the the fabric that then it ultimately goes for this really ambitious crazy conclusion yeah that has a really fast absurd pace to it yeah absolutely and to me, it works for kind of the same fundamental reasons the Tenkaichi Budokai arcs work, which yeah. is, like, those arcs, too, are, at their core, they are all fighting in terms of what is the action that happens. And I think, contrary to popular belief, Dragon Ball is not all fighting. There's plenty of arcs that are primarily adventure, or in, in the Frieza arc, it's until you get to the actual confrontation with Frieza, it's mostly not fighting. It's mostly going around and doing kind of a cat and mouse game. Or yeah. the, the Cell arc is a lot of mystery and intrigue and figuring shit out. And... And oftentimes it is when Dragon Ball just gets down to the fight that sometimes it gets the most boring to people, I think. Yeah. But I think the tournaments never feel that way to me because it's focused and it's often character stuff. Like in the first tournament, it's Goku with all this boundless ambition trying to prove himself at this fun new tournament. Yeah, and in, in Muden Roshi is Jackie Chun trying to just be like, I can't let these little kids win their first ever Tenkaichi Budokai yes. because I'm afraid that they will never like have ambition past that point. And he's fucking right because I think it's it's that Goku loses that that like is his inspiration the rest of that part of the series because that's why they do the time jump after Piccolo is because Goku has achieved his his goal, which was winning that fucking tournament, you yeah. know? And in the second one with Tenshinhan, it's that, like, Tenshinhan is this character who's deeply conflicted, who goes through this whole arc over the course of that in conflict with Goku. And then the final one is, you know, adult Goku. That's where Chi-Chi comes in, and, and he, they get married, and all this stuff with Piccolo Jr. And... I think they are able to activate a lot of character work through the fighting. And I think Super does that in the Universe Survival arc. Only now it's not 16 fighters, it's 80. Yeah. And not, are all 80 interesting characters? No, and they don't try to make them. But all of the Universe 7 fighters are. They use all 10 of them extraordinarily well. Yep. And then I think they use from a lot of the other universes in different degrees very well at different points. Um you know, even even uh, Krillin, who is the first out from Universe 7, uh, I think his episode where he gets out is really good because he's really badass. And when he gets kicked out, it's genuinely surprising because he just gets kicked by Frost at the end in yeah. the back. And you're like, oh my god, what happened? And it does a good job of setting up the stakes. And then Krillin gets to do what he does best, which is, you know, commentate from the stands. I mean, yeah, so it's like it is, it's Krillin is your like primo go the Dragon Ball character for the cutaway to someone watching the fight and having them explain it's like, no, Gohan, you see they're moving so fast that you can't follow them with your eyes, like focus yes. with your key. Like that's that's past original Dragon Ball, that's what you want, what you most need Krillin to do for you. Yes. You know, and I think everyone else, every exit that a Universe 7 character has is fucking cool. Yeah. The only one that genuinely disappointed me was Piccolo because he gets, I forget which, it's the guy, it's the invisible guys oh, who right, they can't yeah. sense. And he just, because Piccolo does something stupid and he goes and stands on the edge and looks over and like, what's going on? And they just throw him off. And that was the only one that disappointed me because it felt out of character for Piccolo. Yeah. But other than that, they're all really great. Um, I mean, man, when when 18 goes out to like get 17 back on the stage, one, 
most prescient move anyone makes in this tournament. Yeah. Yeah. Because because 17 as a like as the utility player, like who gets you the most points, it's 17. Yes. You, I mean, he's got that fucking pep, perpetual energy machine, man. Like, yeah. you, you need that guy in there. Yes. So that's really great. Um, man, Roshi, he's got a couple episodes here, but the one where he really just goes all out, and it's great, great character work with him. And, you know, uh, I realized that, you know, this is not the original Mutant Roshi voice actor. He died near the very end of Z. Yeah. And I've always missed him because he was so perfect for that. But I realized how much this Master Roshi has grown on me during that episode because he's he's a good it's a good voice for yeah. him. Yeah, and that's where you just get what is through the, to me the biggest tearjerker in all of Dragon Ball, maybe just all of <laughs> Dragon Ball, is Goku like his concern for Master Roshi because, when they think he's dead. Yeah, when he thinks he's dead, and and it's just Goku like Chicha, and and it's that like because he's been calling Master Roshi that the whole time. The whole, like, you go, and, it, it you know, because it's still Masuka Nazawa, you go back to fucking the first episode where where he comes in and he's just Kame sending. When Dragon writes, Ball was still in single-digit episodes. Exactly, yeah. If he rides in, he's got the fucking Dragon Ball necklace. It, like, the first time you ever see this character. This is pre-Kamehameha even happening. This is before you saw him do that. Like, that's how he starts calling him, that, referring to that character. Um, and, and, yeah, and and having that come back is it has so much weight behind it. Yeah, um, yeah, it, it it really it hurt. Oh, it's so good, it's so good, and I love that Mutant Roshi. He does such a good job that ultimately they're all like. I think Vegeta is even there when this happens. He's just like, just jump off. You you're okay. You did a great job. Yeah. And so he just jump jumps off, and then Beerus is like. That was pretty cool. And yeah. and that's great because Beerus's role in this, you said this once that maybe the best use of Beerus in the series is just in the stands in this tournament. And I think you're right because his like gradual growing to respect all of the Dragon Ball characters is so cool. Yeah. It, because he you know he's you know, this ultra ultra powerful, aloof godlike like not godlike being, literally god being who's you know charged with destroying things in the universe. I um, mean you see how callous he is so much and that he does live like in a different fucking sphere of existence than, than other people do and having him come around to referring to like Gohan by his name and stuff like that. Oh, because like the whole really time powerful. he's saying like Goku no Musko. Yes, yeah, Goku's and then, son. And then finally he says, uh, no, Gohan. Yeah, Gohan. It's so great. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, Gohan has some great stuff. Gohan goes out with Dispo near the end. Yes. And that's, that's so cool. That's such an incredible sequence where he has Frieza's firing those like finger lasers up to create this like cage. And Gohan's fucking brawling with Dispo in that cage so he can't, because Dispo's super fast and he can't maneuver well enough when he's in this confined space. It's, it's again, it's such a good use of Gohan as an intellectual figure in that he's... You, he, you know, Dispo normally would be able to wipe the floor with Gohan with the speeds that he can move at, but Gohan, using like the tools available to him with in cooperating with Frieza, allows him to win. And then there's a really great callback to Goku Piccolo saving Gohan, yeah. where with Raditz, where Gohan winds up doing the like you know body lock on Dispo and tells Frieza like get us out of here. Yeah. And it's like you know Frieza is Piccolo here, Gohan is Goku, and and Dispo Dispo's is Raditz. Right. And it's just it's it's really cool and it's just a very 360 full circle moment and i just like as the fighters drop out you feel like they've made the fullest use of each of these characters along the way and then you get down to the end where it's just the universe 11 characters and the universe 7 characters and you know once it's down to frieza 17 goku vegeta and then jiren and topo i mean man there's some good stuff there 
Let's talk about Topo and Jiren. Yes. Well, actually, you know what? Before we even do that, let's back up a little bit. We went, okay. to, we went past Cauliflower and uh, yeah. Kale and Kefla, their fused form. Yeah. I love all the stuff with the extra science. It's really cool to see new ones. I like... So a lot of the character designs in this arc were done by Toyotaro, the author of the Dragon Ball Super manga, not by Toriyama. Toriyama did a lot of them too, but he couldn't design 80 new characters. Yeah. So they had Toyotaro do a lot of them. I know a lot of fans didn't like this because they're like, they don't look like Dragon Ball characters. I like, th- I don't love all of them, but I do like that a lot of the designs don't look like what we've seen before because that makes them seem more alien. Yeah, because especially because they're supposed to be from totally different universes. That, yeah. yeah, if they looked exactly like Dragon Ball characters, I think it would make the multiverse feel very constrained. Yeah. Um, Kaba definitely looks like a Toriyama design to me. I don't know who did Kefla or Kale and uh, Kalifla. They look a little more Toyotaro-esque to me. But whatever the case, I like that the other universe Saiyans don't look like our Saiyans. They're like yeah. thinner and smaller. Um, but I like those characters. Kale as like sexy girl Broly freaks me out a little bit. But, you know, it's a good episode. Yeah. And then when they merge, it's, it's such a great fight. And of course, we've talked about it on the podcast before. But the coolest thing that has ever happened in Dragon Ball shall always be Goku versus Kefla. Kefla is all powered up, firing shit at Goku. And Goku jumps up while charging a Kamehameha. We've got the fucking awesome insert song, yeah. Ultimate Battle, playing. And as she fires this giant beam, he flips, slides on his own Kamehameha up, flips over again, and fires in her face. Yeah. Ha! And then it does, like, straight up just, like, cuts and shows the blast three, three times from three different perspectives. And she gets blasted off the stage yeah that is the coolest that's the coolest fight thing ever like it's just that's a moment where i literally i was sitting in like the, the my chair that's in my living room and i like lean back and i'm like got my hands through my hair going oh my god and i lean back so far i almost fall over that's where i spent like three hours watching people on youtube react <laughs> to that scene it's the only time i've ever been grateful that there's this entire bizarre community of like youtube reacts to things Ever like it's the only time I've ever sought that out was like because again because you were fucking watching Dragon Ball Super. I'm I sorry. Like, I need I need to experience this joy with someone else because this is the coolest fucking thing in the world. And just watching to like people from all over the world like watching different like subtitled versions of stuff in different languages and just seeing that like it's a universal badassness. Of yes, just that fucking Kamehameha. It's so good. And um, then, uh, and that's also where, I mean, also in the, because I think the real turning point for the tournament to me, because you have some really good episodes up to this, but when Jiren comes out to play for the first time, yeah. which I think is really smart that they didn't just save Jiren for the end, but he comes out to play, and this is where Goku has the first fight against him. It's the first time he flirts with Megate no Gokui, yeah. and uh, with Ultra Instinct in the subtitles, and you get um, Ultimate Battle, the insert song for the first time, that's when it feels like the tournament kicks into that next gear, yeah. and it never lets up past yeah, that Yeah, because that's the point where it becomes clear, like, not to say that, like, everything is obvious, like, again, still would not have guessed that Andrew 17 would win at this point, it becomes clear, like, uh, this is what the tournament is becoming now. Um, so, yeah, let's, let's just talk a little bit about, like, the Migate no Goku stuff, just because I think it, it's so cool. Um, because it is... It's something that I've always wanted a shonen thing to try out. And there have been different series that have flirted with it a little bit. And it's like, you know, Goku or Dragon Ball kind of flirts with this, with the Super Saiyan stuff in the Android saga and trying to like explore the boundaries of Super Saiyan. But I've always wanted a shonen thing where the main character gets the transformation 
partway through the arc and it has to spin the arc mastering the transformation rather than it being the thing that all of these are which is at the end like halfway through the climactic battle the hero is pushed to their absolute limits and that's when they achieve the transformation it's the first time you ever see it you know that's the standard set by the goku going super saiyan i love this of you know he 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 tests the waters a couple of times with miyate no goku and and it's not quite fully formed yet and i love just like the animation on it in the real sense of goku still doesn't quite know what this thing he stumbled into is and after like he he will punch kefla or something and kind of look at his hand and kind of like squeeze it a little bit and there's a sense of he's pushing the boundaries of this new power he's discovered it's just such a fun different dynamic that's not just the same thing we've seen every single time someone gets a fucking transformation in this stuff it, it's, it's it's also got a totally different logic because the logic yeah. of ultra instinct is not i got stronger because technically he doesn't get stronger with it. Right. What it is is that he he stops thinking. Like they have this. It's foreshadowed in the Resurrection F movie, and then in the uh, the the TV adaptation in Super, where Weiss has this whole thing about how you're never going to be fast enough if you think about it, because the thought has to travel to your limb or whatever, right? Yeah. And he says you have to be able to move independently of that, and it is exactly what it sounds like with the term ultra instinct. It's going completely off of being in the moment. It's a very mar like it sounds like something you'd see in a wuxia movie at the end. Yes. Like at the end of a touch of zen or something. That's what it feels like. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I like it so much conceptually as a transformation is that it's not it's not just a power boost as you're saying. It's it's more philosophical and it and it's one of those things that like gets back to this sense I love so much of Goku on this like journey through like a martial arts fable that he's the he's the hero in a martial arts fable that he's attaining this state of like nothingness of mindlessness of like of complete move. focus yeah and and the phrase you know I I'm fine with the ultra instinct you know it's that's not even like a dub term that's like the official Japanese English term for what it is obviously because the dub isn't even here yet um but the the term migatte no gokui in japanese is so fucking good because basically what it like quite literally means is like the the height of selfishness like the most the the ultimate peaks of selfishness like the the goku in gokui is the same goku in, in gokudo which is like the word for it's not Yakuza. goku by the no, way it, yeah it's not it's not goku goku that's a different thing because but, actually we transliterate goku wrong it should be yeah. g-o-k-u-u or with a line over it um so this is just g-o-k-u yes and and it's the same so like the if you so yakuza kiwami the kiwami and yakuza kiwami that's the same character as the goku and gokui and it, and it means like extreme and extremity and the migatte um if people who watch a lot of anime in japanese probably have heard the term like kate nakoto um like like kate nakoto surena like don't just do something on your own that's like that kate that's the same like kate as gate and migatte um with the me being me for body and so it's like this total inner focus and it's the height of like total inner focus is what that the phrase quite literally means if you break it down to its conjugate components and that's i love how it expresses that concept to it but it's also it's it's what i one of the things i was saying when i, I said a couple of weeks ago that like the best use of beerus is probably as like this commentator in the stands is that the best thing the beerus voice actor has ever said is every single time that he goes it's it's the best it's the the, the it like and, and it gets better every time he says it um especially when you get to goku's perfected it and he's just like 
And it's it's just such a aesthetically pleasing phrase. I just like to say gokui. Oh, it's great. And I do like I agree that like I don't know what a better thing than Ultra Instinct would be for an English speaking audience. But I do, it, it's, it saddens me that the English Beerus, who is a great, like English Beerus and Weiss might be my favorite voices in the dub They're because really they weren't trying to imitate old dub voices from like the 90s. Um, them and Krillin, they can all come along in my fantasy dub. Um, but anyway, they're really good, and I'm sad that this actor will only get to say Ultra Instinct and not Megate no Gokui. Megate no Gokui. It's just the, the pacing of it as, a, as an aesthetic right. phrase. It's poetic. I love it so much. Yes, I love that. I thought you were also going to say my other favorite moment with Beerus in this is when in the first fight with Jiren, they think Goku's just been lost and then something is happening. He's coming back. There's a big ball of light and someone says, what's going on? And it's just this zoom in on Beerus and he says, he's coming. Kuruzo. Kuruzo. Yeah. And then it's it's cut to the, the commercial break is yeah. where that comes in and it's just, oh man, it's I so love it. good. It's, yeah, every everything yeah. with that. Let's also talk about the visuals of Megate no Gokui mm -hmm. because it's such a cool transformation because here's the thing about Super Saiyan. I'm going to say something controversial here. Okay. It's never been my favorite look for any of the characters. Mm -hmm. It's it's good. It's cool. Like it's obviously cool. It, we wouldn't have gotten this far if it wasn't cool. But let's be real for a second. Toriyama himself says this in like one of the intros <laughs> to the volumes. The reason he did Super Saiyan the way he did it is so he wouldn't have to fill in the black on Goku's hair. Actually, not specifically him. His assistant had to do it, and he wanted to save his assistant time because Toriyama was a cheapskate, and he had the, he drew the entire manga. Every week, he had his assistant there one day a week, and that's the way he did it. He did it alone, and he had his assistant there one day a week to do inking. And that was yeah. it. And he wanted to save his assistant time, and so he said, if, they're, if they've got yellow hair, I don't have to draw anything there. Yeah, and it, it's, it's similar logic as to why Goku lost his tail. He's like, I just kind of don't want to yeah. draw the tail exactly. anymore. <laughs> so that's, that's why Super Saiyan looks the way it does. And there's a reason to me Super Saiyan God and Super Saiyan Blue look more interesting, because I think red and blue... You have to do a lot more to work that into the palette. It's not just their hair got brighter and they got blue eyes now. It's it's that it's a much bigger like reworking of the character design. And like with Super Saiyan Blue in particular, I think it pushes them to do a lot of stuff with backgrounds and environments because it's such a striking color. You can't just be out in a grassy field anymore. Like you mm -hmm. have to do something really interesting with it. And I think those designs, particularly Super Saiyan Blue, just grips me so much more because it feels like less a decision of artistic convenience than it's hard to draw super saiyan blue i think yeah. like that's a much more difficult thing to do it's also something that literally you couldn't do in a manga the same way because mangas are in black and white yeah except for the rare color chapters this is like these are choices made for an anime and megate no gokui is also something where it's not just something that you can only do in an anime because it res it revolves around this shimmer and and the way he moves and everything, but also like you couldn't have done it in the anime in the '90s or the '80s because it is this mix of hand drawn and CG elements that I think blend really well and it feels like the transformation of this moment. It's not backwards looking. It's like well we could only do this now when we're yeah. doing this anime first. I know there is a manga. I'm actually very curious about how Toyotaro draws some of these things in the manga. Um, but, you know, you, you're doing this anime first. We, we have new technology to do this. We can make it look really cool. And it's a transformation that allows Goku to, like, keep his base, like, black hair form and slimmer body figure. I love all that. It's part of the reason I also always loved Kaioken. Yeah. Even though Kaioken isn't used much. I always thought Kaioken was cooler than Super Saiyan because... 
I don't know, it's like adding to what Goku is, not changing it in a weird way. And I think that's what this form does as well. Yeah, I agree. I Because I, it also just captures a little bit more of like the sensation of... You know, it, it, it goes further when he becomes the perfected Migate no Goku. Although I like the visual language of, you know, all the gods have white hair. So Goku, when he gets that state, having white hair works for me. But yeah. it, but having, like, it keep the basic silhouette of Goku, it, it, it communicates something of, like, the same kind of thing as when Gohan achieves his, his huge power-up in the Boo arc. I like the idea of, like, there are other ways to gain this incredible power that has nothing to do with you being a Saiyan. And that, that you know... Hypothetically, if Krillin fucking really got on his shit, Krillin maybe could could achieve could <laughs> achieve the state of Migate no Goku. I'm not saying that I want to see that arc, but like I want to see that in a video game, like yeah. in a side story. Yes, I mean, yeah, you know, when you do all the weird Dragon Ball heroes, like castle games, all the shit, the extra shit that Dragon Ball has, you have fucking Super Saiyan four Broly's running around. Give me a fucking Migate no Goku, Krillin. Yes, <laughs> like in that in that sphere, I want to play as that in like a Xenoverse game for sure. But but I like I just like the knowledge that our characters are not as powerful as they are just through like a biological quirk uh, that they can attain like attain this incredible yeah. form. It's anybody could do this. What do you think about what I call S S S G S S Vegeta, which is sparkly Super Saiyan God Super Saiyan? Vegeta. I, I it's a, I think that they could have done a little bit more to like sell the transformation in terms of like how he gets like where he gets this power from is like there's like it's the one thing about the turn of power that i think there's like a little bit too much of uh our heroes have been put to the push to the point of like no return and then and, like 10 episodes in and then like they they like goku's building in vegeta are building their stamina back up and like it maybe does that cycle a couple more too many times but the color design for like that really deep, rich blue that that version of Vegeta has is fucking awesome. And I think the character logic for it is great. Where yeah. he's like, "You keep your fucking Magate no Goku, Goku. Yeah. I'm or Kakarot because he never will ever call him Goku. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's when like, Vegeta dies for good. That will be the only yes. time he ever calls Goku Goku. Um, he's like, "You keep that. I'm gonna do it my way." And his way is to like expand upon this cyan transformation that feels totally accurate yes to yeah character. yeah the character logic is good yeah. like it's just one of those like okay we like yeah. these characters should have been dead a while ago okay. I don't, yeah i don't like i don't usually skirt up my, i'm very tolerant of anime bullshit in that kind of logic way i think that's the one thing about the the tournament of power that i'm like you could have maybe not had goku be so destroyed a couple of times throughout and vegeta be like so destroyed a couple of times throughout to sell a little bit more that they would have had power to fight Jiren at the end. Yeah. All right. So you want to talk a little bit about the final characters we get from Universe 11, Topo yeah. and Jiren. Topo is seated throughout much more because he's there in the exhibition match. Yeah. He introduces himself to Goku. He is, well, has a fight with him. He is kind of our point of view character onto Universe 11 and the entire Justice Force. What are they called? Uh, the, the, War Pride the Pride Troopers. The Pride Troopers. Justice Force. I'm close. Yeah. Yeah. The Pride, Pride Troopers. They're great. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I really like Topo. I think I get why Jiren is the big bad, and I, I like him as a, like, wall to overcome. But as a character, Topo is where it's at. Yeah, I especially adore the twist of he's, like, a god of destruction in training. And when he, like, makes that turn, is like, no, fuck it. I'm just going to use my, like, destruction god key stuff. And, like, I'm going to really let loose. And it's like, I don't care. Justice has its limits. I'm going to win this fucking thing. I like that also, like, the Pride Troopers are, like, a weird window into, like, if the 
if the Z Warriors were what like the English dub always characterized them to be, yes. that's who they would yeah. be. Is like it's like it's all about justice, mm-hmm. and like that's not who Goku is at all. But that's who these guys are, and I like that. And I like that Topo is pushed so far. Because, like, this is his whole life. He will never stop fighting for his universe that he would even give up everything he believes in to become a Hakaishin. Yeah. And that's great. And also it puts him into conflict with Vegeta in a really interesting way where Vegeta defeats Topo in part because he's like, I'm disgusted by you that you would give up your pride. That's everything. And in a weird way, you see Vegeta having gone through this circuitous path where he was evil, became more or less good... He has a kind of a better view on this sense of morality than Topo does, having been on this one path his whole life. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, he definitely it's because it is interesting that he starts out the arc feeling like he's going to be a foil for Goku, but he ultimately is more fitting for Vegeta. Yeah, yeah, and then you have Jiren, and Jiren is also kind of a controversial character because he is much less characterized than most Dragon Ball villains. We've never really had a villain in the main canon. There's movie villains, obviously, who I would say are this sort of abstract even boo when he's like brought into the main team you know you would say that we maybe know more about boo than we do jiren but i think he works in part because i think he's a striking character design yeah and i think he is this weird mirror image of goku where he and goku on the surface are so similar in that they are all about the attainment of power but jiren has done that by cutting himself off from all worldly ties and goku hasn't and that is what allows goku to prevail yeah and it's a common anime theme friendship is magic you know come on yes yeah. we all every anime does it but it's about the execution of yeah. the theme and, and i think it's done really well and i think that as a contrast works because you know at the end of the day dragon ball like goku's biggest you know opponent is himself and his own power not the people opposite him yeah and i think that that works here yeah, I've I've really liked Jiren a lot as a villain, and I know that that in the section of the Dragon Ball fandom, that's like a weirdly controversial opinion. But it is like one I, I love his because I, at first I hated his design because I looked at his design, it's like ah, uh, it's just he's just a weird dude. Like I like there's no there's nothing for you to hang on his design. There's no like his color scheme is very normal. He's gray with like wearing the Pride Trooper uniform you've already seen with Topo. Like there's nothing striking about his character design and like the way that you look at a Majin Buu, you look at a Cell, you look at a Frieza. Those are characters that like stand out and are very distinctive. But then, the, you know, because, but my introduction to Jiren was just his appearance in the OP. And that was the eight for like 20 episodes before I actually saw the fucking guy. And then once you see him and see him in the environment and how they use him in the story, I started to love so much the, he is like literally built like a brick wall. Like he is the visual like epitome of power he's just this big broad guy that is all muscle and he's just like even his head looks like a big muscle sprouted out from like his neck you know it's like that's all he is is this big wall of power to for goku to try to overcome as you said you know while the you know the friendship is how we win the day and it's our bonds with others that give us power bonds of people is the true power yeah exactly like that's that is in no way some sort of original theme for dragon ball to explore but of course it's like this is a shonen show it is like it's this genre is going to explore themes like that and particularly it's because dragon ball has typically doesn't like specifically focus in that direction like it has those elements are there all along from the beginning it's it is one a show in this genre but it's not you know, it's not Yu-Gi-Oh. It's not like putting a spotlight on that all the time. And for it to 
go all this distance from you know the 80s till now and going from dragon ball through all of dragon ball z and then all the you know extraneous you know superfluous material like a dragon ball gt or the movies and going through that to now and how strong dragon ball super has always been with its character stuff i found it ultimately really affecting to me because it it does feel like it comes from such an honest place of understanding of goku as a character and legitimately how he has gotten to this point and that Jiren having attained... And, and there's like this like legitimate level of respect from Goku that he gives to Jiren where he says, man, you're amazing. You got this powerful completely on your own. That's incredible. Um, because and Goku really, could have never done that. And he's not... He never becomes more powerful than Jiren in this yeah, arc. Yeah, not really. He no. wins on a weird like fluke technicality kind of, you know? Like if they were just in, in one of the, you know, grassy meadowlands in, in you know... Yeah, the main Rocky fighting, Field. Yeah. If they were in Rocky Field, he'd lose. Mm-hmm. But because of this, yeah, I, I like that moment too. Yeah, and, and it's just... And it gives you this insight and like this reflective moment with Goku of... We've been with him on this journey since he was literally a 12-year-old boy in scene how he has gotten to where he is has always been through the help of others. Like he didn't overcome Tao Pai Pai on his own. He needed Kadin Sama. Like he didn't overcome Majunior Piccolo on his own. He needed Kami. It's like, and all throughout he has had all these teachers and all these friends that have pushed him and helped him along the way. And that's always how Goku has become more powerful. And I think it's because Dragon Ball is a series that never stops and lingers on its themes. Like it never stops and like focuses on the fact that the reason why Goku can become Super Saiyan is because of his friendship with Krillin. It's just accepted that that's the emotional trigger. It's not like, you know, there's no big, it's not doing a Naruto thing where there's this huge flashback that's like an episode long flashback of all the times that Goku and Krillin have been together. And every friendship moment is like, oh, and here's them, you know, carrying the milk bottles when they were training. And here's Krillin being a dick and stealing the, the rock with the Kame symbol on it and tricking Goku. You know, it's, it's not doing all of that because that's not the series that Dragon Ball typically is. That for Dragon Ball Super 2 take this moment of what I knew when I was watching this section was the end of this run of the anime. And it was before the, I think the movie, I even knew anything about the movie happening of, of being like, this is the grace note that Dragon Ball Super, as we understand it in chooses to end on, I found really powerful. Yeah. I mean, it, it ends with its best foot forward. And that's actually one of the big things here is that like throughout this point, like super, the end of a super arc had never been the most important part, you know? Yeah. Like, I really like the end of Universe 6 versus 7, but it's not, like, the emotional height of that arc. Mm-hmm. The end of the Future Trunks arc is, is bumbling, frankly. And then this is really powerful. And even if you go back through Dragon Ball history, there are some points where Dragon Ball stories end on their absolute best note, like the Cell arc or something. But there's also ones that just kind of, like, they reach a great crescendo, but the actual finale is not what you remember. Like, the crescendo of Goku going Super Saiyan in the Freeze arc, amazing. The... Like, quick, tell me how he actually defeats Frieza. I think most people actually couldn't do it. Bakayaro! Yeah. Yes, that's right. But I've, I mean, because then you also get into all the weeds of like, and then the, or will we use the Namek or the Earth Dragon Balls to revive the Guru or the, or the the Great Elder on Namek and that'll give us riches on the, you know, there's like all this like weird Dragon Ball trading, bull, yes. like rule bending that goes on in that arc. That, yes, you're right. Yeah. It's and, the and, Super Saiyan thing that people remember. And Dragon Ball Super just ends on the absolute highest of highs with Frieza is there and 17 is there and Goku is there and Goku almost wins with Megate no Gokui but then he has to pay the price for it and his yeah. body is wrecked and Frieza starts fighting Jiren and Jiren is fucking wrecked at this point and they're all on their last legs and then 
Frieza you know, turns to Goku and says, you'll keep your promise, right? And Goku's like, you know I will. Will you? And and they're like, okay, let's do it. And, and Frieza's like, toss me. Yeah. Like Gimli in fucking yeah. Lord of the Rings. And Goku tosses him. And then Goku just flies down. And he's like flickering in and out of Super Saiyan. And they grab Jiren. And they fucking rush off the stage together. It's so... And then Seventeen is there. And he gives up his wish of getting a yacht to wish all the other universes back. And then, of course, they all remember, oh, wait, I have a really rich friend named Bulba Briefs, and she can give me a yacht. And yeah. it's such so a... Pre- 17 can get a fucking yacht if you yes. want one. It's, uh, oh, man, it's such a good ending. Yeah, and then, and then you go back to Goku and Vegeta in the rocky plains or yep. whatever in their, their poses. Just having a fight yeah. again. And, uh, oh, man, it's, it's a great show. It's a great ending. And I, I think it ends on a great note where if this were the last they did with it, you'd be fine. And you'd say, yeah. okay, that was super. And then we can tack on the epilogue from Z and that's where it sits for us. But it also is open enough of like there are so many possibilities. Because, you know, the big thing is that this ends with fucking Frieza resurrected. Yes. Which yeah. is... Frieza's like assembling some weird galactic force in some yep. corner of the universe. Yep. And now we have the new movie. So before we look to the future, anything else to say about Super? Um, really quickly, I because we, we, we kind of skipped over her a little bit. I love Caulifla so much. Um, I, I know there's a lot of people that don't care that much for that character, but there's something about the... One, I just like that we finally have like female Super Saiyans. Yeah. Like having female Saiyans that can fight. In that section, because they were always there in the lore, like there's no like rule that says there's no f- women in the yeah. in the world. We just never had them. Yeah, we had you know sexist people writing Dragon Ball GT who are like, eh, Pan just can never go Super Saiyan, even though she's older than Goku and Trunks were when they went Super Saiyan for the first time. It always fucking pissed me off so much. And I just I like I love that Caulfield's character is like I'm this weird like delinquent Yankee girl because of course that's what a, a lady Saiyan would be like, and I I like the the vocal performance a lot and and those characters are so much fun and i and one of my favorite parts of like the build-up of the turn of the power is goku you know because like vegeta is paired off with kabe because they have that pre-existing relationship i like that goku gets paired off with these two saiyan ladies and that's where you get a little bit of that goku is pushing them and teaching them about like what it is to be super saiyan and I always just like when Goku, at this point in his life, he has that opportunity to teach people about martial arts kind of stuff because it makes you feel the journey that he's been on. And so that's that's one of my sections of the turn of power I love a lot that we kind of skipped over is Goku kind of building them up through the different transformations. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Vegeta's last stand in the tournament also is man- yeah. magnificent. Oh, and God. it is very clearly a... Um, tribute to Hiromitsuru who had died a couple weeks before that aired and, and when he's falling out of the stage and he they play a, a series of clips of her from Super um, it, it really hits it hits hard mm-hmm. the amount of you know journey Vegeta has traveled up to this point is I think summarized really beautifully there and him falling out of the arena and giving his last bit of energy to Kakarot is just it's right it's just they did it spot on yeah. even though I think in the end uh, again, you would not predict that Vegeta would be uh, fourth place from Universe 7 because there were three that survived after him. You would not have guessed that. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's good stuff. I also think, really quickly, because you mentioned some of the music getting better once you got to the Goku Black stuff. I really love the soundtrack um, for all the Universe uh, survival stuff. Like it's, I'm with you that it's my favorite Dragon Ball music is always going to be the original music from Dragon Ball and Z, but... I, you just can't do that anymore. Like stylistically, yeah. I just don't think it would work. I don't think most like modern audiences 
are not going to accept that kind of music even though it's so fucking good. Yeah. Um, but if you have to do a different take on Dragon Ball music, th- this is awesome. And, and like the Ultimate Battle song and the reworked versions of, of Ginkka, Topax, Survivor and that, that material and just some of the you know, really crazy choral music they do whenever like like God stuff starts getting involved. Yep. I love it so much. It's great. And the Ultra Instinct theme is fucking amazing. Yes. Um, people should look up some of like the great hip hop remixes that are on YouTube of that nice. song. Because it's so good. Awesome. Well, looking forward. I mean, the next thing we have is this movie, Dragon Ball Super Broly. Um, I've not looked up any spoilers. I, I know one spoiler from Dragon Ball Legends, the mobile game I'm playing. That okay. You might know, you might not know. I don't know, but I will not risk saying. Yeah. All I know is what's in the trailers and stuff. Okay, yeah. Um, but what I'll say is, uh, like, I know the, you know, fused character. Okay, yes, that's yeah. the thing I was referring to. Okay, well, that's in the trailers. Yeah, but, you know, it's it's the later trailers. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, no, it's okay. I, there's a There's a... People, there's a way that you could go see that movie and you would not know that that's in the movie. That'd be fucking hard for me. Yeah. But anyway, it would be impossible for me because every time you load up the fucking mobile game, you're, um, they put, play that trailer that you yeah. like, can bump out of. Like each day you load it up for the first time. Nice. So I've seen that character a lot because he's yeah. in the first shot of the trailer. That you just... Well, I'm so curious because this movie is very clearly it's just the next step in the story. Because yeah. um, Freeze is in it. One of my favorite lines I've heard from a review of Broly so far is that someone said. You know, they're marketing it with Broly as the villain, but Frieza's the actual villain of this movie. And that excites me so much because yeah. that is absolutely the right tack to be taking. Um, and what this movie is that fascinates me is it is essentially Toriyama being handed all these elements that he did not create for the series. Like Broly, Bardock, um, which Bardock was originally not a Toriyama creation. He used him in the manga after that TV special, but the TV special was done. He, he helped on it, but it was not his thing. Um, so you've got Broly, you've got Bardock, you've got the fused character fused who character, shall not be yeah. named. Um, so you've got all these elements that are, are really from either the movies or the TV specials. And now it's Toriyama who wrote the script. So this is definitely his thing this time. Because the anime is written by other people, but he supervised the storytelling. Yeah. But he wrote the script. And I'm really curious how he's going to bring all this stuff together. And the thing is, like, at first, before I had seen all of Super and I heard they're doing a Broly movie, I had to roll my eyes a little bit because Broly is a terrible character in the original movies. Yeah. But now I look at that and I know where they took everything. And the idea of Goku and Vegeta being confronted with a new Saiyan with untapped power and all this potential and them having to figure out what to do with this character fascinates me. Yeah. And my number one hope for the movie... I don't want it to end with them killing Broly. It has to end with Broly becoming their friend. It just yeah. has to. It has to end with... Because Vegeta wouldn't do that at this point. Goku wouldn't do that at this point. Like yeah. They would be like... Vegeta would take this as such a huge opportunity to be like, oh my god, there's a Saiyan in my universe I could be responsible for. And I'm really fascinated by that. And I also like the idea of Frieza coming in and trying to fuck them all up. Because yeah. he's an asshole. And so... I'm really curious about what's going to go down in this movie. I also know it's got, you know, the prologue section we've seen in the trailers where it's going to go back and do the final days of Planet Vegeta, um, which I think for most fans, the canon version of that is the Bardock special from the TV show. Uh, Rightly so. That TV special is one of the best things ever made under the Dragon Ball banner. But Toriyama clearly views that as like, well, he didn't write it, so he feels like I'm going to do whatever I want with it. And I don't really love the Dragon Ball Minus chapter he did where he makes it like a Superman origin story. 
But in the context of this movie, who knows? I'm really curious to see what his take on Bardock, how it changes things. Yeah, me too. So I'm fascinated and I'm excited for this movie. Yeah, I also like, you know, um, the two that there's two sort of new characters that seem like they're part of like the Frieza gang or something. And one of them is voiced by Mizuki Nana, who is a great voice actress. She does the voice for uh, Hinata from Naruto. But then there's my boy Sugita Tomokazu, who's, he's like, he's such a fucking amazing voice actor, but a really funny personality. He plays Yusuke in the Japanese version of Persona 5. He's also um, the main character from Gintama. Oh, nice. what he's most known from. And I just, the other day um, on my YouTube recommendations, because I've been watching some videos of Sugita, because he's just a funny personality. He's like done funny things. I've been watching some Japanese videos of him on YouTube, and it like populated my recommended with a like little interview from around when they did the premiere in Japan and I hadn't didn't know that he was in the movie and it just made me so happy to see this like here's this dude who grew he's like the biggest nerd I know of that exists like it's absurd and seeing that like he gets to be in this movie and it's like new I just like the new generation of voice actors that get to participate in Dragon Ball those are two pretty heavy hitters for side characters yeah Yeah. they're heavy they're big heavy hitters and it just seems like the like the love that this like new generation of voice actors have that you know like Sugita was partially inspired to get into voice acting by Norio Wakamoto's performance by of Cell in the original Dragon Ball Z. So it's just like I, I love that element of it. And I love that like sense of Dragon Ball going forward and bringing new blood into it. Yeah. It's awesome. So I can't wait. Next week we're going to take a look back and talk about the or further back I guess and talk about the Broly movies that preceded all of this that laid the groundwork for there being a new Broly movie. The reason why Broly is in every Dragon Ball video game ever. And we'll talk about all of that. That'll be next week. And then the week after that, we get to see this fucking movie, Sean, and talk about it. Mm -hmm. I am so psyched. Cannot wait. We'll see you guys next week. Next week, get ready for a lot of... Kakaroto! Japan Animation Station!